Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the latest in a series of Empire Podcast Spoiler Specials. This one is dedicated to Matt Reeves' War for the Planet of the Apes, the movie that completes the Planet of the Apes reboot trilogy. Uh, that started a few years ago with Rise of the Planet of the Apes, continued with Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, and now concludes with War for the Planet of the Apes. And I'm only saying that because I finally learned the order in which those films come, which is which is good. It's an achievement on my part. Uh, over the next hour and a half or so... No, I'll say that again. Over the next hour or so, we'll be discussing War for Planet of the Apes in all its spoilerific detail. Uh, and I will be discussing it with... Helen O'Hara. Hello. And Emma Thrower. Hello. Apes together. Strong. Strong. Uh, Strong. <laughs> Get up it. <laughs> Uh, but before we, the giggling idiots, get into the film, uh, I'm going to bring you some interviews with the man responsible for Chiefly, uh, Matt Reeves, the film's director. Uh, and I spoke to him in great detail about a great many things, and hopefully he will answer some burning questions that you have after this film. And um, I'll, just, I'll give my usual spoiler warning here at this point. So... If you have not seen War for the Planet of the Apes, this is a spoiler special. We will be getting into third up revelations. We'll be getting into major character demises, all sorts of stuff. So if you haven't seen the film, highly to your nearest cinema, watch the movie, come back and pick up from this point. Okay? Right? Are they gone? Thanks. I think they're gone. Excellent. All right. So we can also say that we have Andy Serkis in the podcast. And uh, I interviewed Andy Serkis for a regular podcast. But I set aside the last five minutes of that to talk about this film's major Caesar-based revelation, which is that this is the end of the road for the leader of the apes. He don't make it out. Caesar's dead. Mm. Yeah, yeah, sad. Very sad. But I spoke to Andy Serkis about that and all sorts of stuff. So you're going to hear him first, and then you're going to hear Matt Reeves. Enjoy. And now, if if it's okay with you, I just want to talk spoiler stuff uh, for for war, and we'll hold it back. As with Matt, the Matt thing is, a, is a, what we call a spoiler special. Right. Obviously, War for the Planet of the Apes is the culmination of Caesar's journey in a very final way. Uh, when Matt pitched the movie to you uh, and almost made you late for Rupert Wyatt's The Gambler, <laughs> was that part of the story? Uh, yeah, yeah, it was, and I kind of saw it coming. And uh, you know, it, it, it look, it's it is. It is meant to be, and sad though I am that this is this is the end, um, my friend. Um, <laughs> it, it kind of is perfectly fitting, and as as I was saying earlier, it really is allows Caesar to become this mythic figure that that um, that has helped the apes to become a civilization, and and so Rupert, that's, that's sorry, Matt. That's why Matt wanted to. Um, to, to tell this story, to tell this final Caesar-centric part of, of, of the trilogy and to culminate with, with this big mythic journey so that he would have that status and, and be remembered as, mm. as the one who led them to freedom. Is there something you wanted to see? Well, I'm very sad. I'm, 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 very, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm very sad to let go of the character because it's extraordinary to for an actor to be able to play a character all the way through from birth to death yeah. in, in, over the course <laughs> yeah. of you know through movies. I can't actually think, and I don't know if you can, of any other character uh, you know played by an actor or any other actor having that opportunity. I'll have a think. 
Um, but it is, yeah. you know, so and to, to have been through so many twists and turns and, uh, you know, uh, and character changes and emotional and, and not only that, just not only the aging of the character, but also the evolution of the character. Yes. So going from a chimpanzee through to to a practically, you know, practically human, which he is in this movie. You know, he, he begins to speak more with, with much more kind of linguistic fluency articulacy he's 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 emotionally much more human um you know he he behaves in a much more human like way yeah. um i mean i was approached him as a as a as a human in ape skin from the word go that he was an outsider of of, of his you know not comfortable in his own skin um but i i, I really I'm so pri- I feel so privileged to have, to have had the opportunity to play this part all the way through you know all the way through mm. and um, yeah I mean I'd be sad to see him go what was it like filming the, the final scene the final scene was really hard I mean it was really tough and um, wonderful Karen Carnival who plays Maurice you know we we were both you know we were both um, we both struggled to get through it actually it was, it was <laughs> yeah because we've become I mean we've become such a tight family yeah. again you know it's, uh, when you're working on these pictures you become incredibly close to people and and, and people have people have been very passionate about the, these movies because they're, they're really highly invested in them you know we all love making them and uh, you know so yeah no it was a really it was quite um it was a it was a tough day, and then of course it of course it wasn't the last day of the shoot or anything. I was so, going to ask. So then so. you know you're back, it was kind of halfway through, so you're back into it, and, and that was kind of all like, oh, right. Okay, oh yeah. Couldn't they have just couldn't they have just scheduled towards the end? <laughs> yeah, no. The last day. I oh, know that would have been good. Giant mic drop. Yeah, but of course there never is a last day on these kind of movies because then you've got to go back in for pickups, and then you've got to go back in for you know, and that's the other brilliant thing about working with. Um, with, with Matt actually is is that he's very fastidious about about reshoots and pickups and refining the story right up until the last moment we did it on Dawn we didn't shoot the last shot of Dawn for the Planet of the Apes Dawn of the Planet of the Apes till four weeks before release oh my god and he decided to change the end so that final shot of pushing in on Caesar yeah. we actually shot via Skype I was at the Imaginarium in London we shot it there he was in LA finishing I mean <laughs> you know so he's he's a real you know he, he won't let go of these things until they're Till they're, till they're perfect. For a second, I thought you meant they shot it using your webcam. On. Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> when you said Skype, I was no. like, wow, your webcam is fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah very high quality webcam. <laughs> and uh, just uh, a couple of things very, very quickly. There's uh, the, the relationship between the Colonel and Caesar in this movie is very interesting. And the, the scene where Caesar goes to take revenge. And then obviously the Colonel has been incapacitated by the mutation of the disease. And he chooses not to. Can you talk about that and what was going through your head filming filming that scene? Yeah, I mean, this is this is the kind of the where the kind of the internal conflict for for his own soul, the war for Caesar's soul, um, really rages, and 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 he is so you know he has the opportunity to 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 do what he thinks is going to assuage his grief, and and of course he realizes that that this is not the way, and it's a he struggle. There's a, a monumental struggle over the course of. A, you know, 30 seconds or so where they are looking into each other's eyes and the colonel wants to die. You know, he, he, he wants to go and, and Caesar partly doesn't want to give him the satisfaction, partly does. He's mm. so conflicted. Uh, Caesar wants to, to, to exact his revenge, but at the same time, there, there's something in him that's, that finally finds um, finally finds pity or finally mm. finds connection again, not only with the, with the, with the colonel, but with himself. Mm. And... 
and it is that looking into the looking into that that dying creature, another dying creature's yeah. eyes to make him do that um, suffering creature, yeah. and uh, and and it was it was a really intense scene to shoot. I mean, all the scenes with Woody were quite an intense scenes, yeah, really, yeah, but yeah. but that particularly, and and I have to say the work that Weta have done to actually. Matt tells me, you know, they that was I think the, they spent the most time trying to get that scene right because there was he, he said uh, he said your face was just I couldn't he said it was in, you, there was so much going on to get to actually capture that in in Caesar's face was was wow. was really tricky and they did hundreds of iterations of those wow. of those shots to get it right amazing and then just very very quickly very finally um, the method of Caesar's death. The bitter irony of it uh, being at the hands or the arrow of the soldier he lets go at the beginning of the movie. What, what are your thoughts uh, on that? I mean, that's just that's just classic kind of Matt Reeves, you know, um, brilliant storytelling. And um, yeah, that 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 it's so smart that 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 um, that, that he should fall in that way. And mm. it was very it was, it was it's, that the tale of that particular character played. Um, uh, so beautifully by the actor by Gabriel, who you know he, he did such an amazing job on 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 the character, um, where you both kind of feel for him again. You feel empathy yeah. towards that character, and he's following orders, so he's yeah. he becomes he becomes a, a function of, of of the colonel's you know creed. Of course, in, in a in a more conventional movie, he would turn and he would assist the apes absolutely and he absolutely doesn't you're almost expecting him to do so and no, the fact no. that he ultimately does what he does is, yeah. uh, is a huge shock no no absolutely yeah. absolutely well Andy it's been a, it's been a pleasure and uh, I wish you all the best thank you uh, farewell to Caesar yes very very sad oh my god <laughs> no one's ever said that to me before I'm about oh, to really? shed a tear okay well I'll turn this off so we can, we can <laughs> shed a manly tear together Andy Sergis thank you so much cheers mate thank you bye bye we're delighted to be joined in this Empire Podcast, A War for the Planet of the Apes, spoiler special by the film's director, Matt Reeves. How are you, sir? I'm good, thank you. Good, good, good. Not too chat nice. You're okay? I, th- I think I'm doing okay. You're doing okay? Yeah. Okay, excellent. you just got half an hour to go with this. This, this will be fine. No, I'm um, good. <laughs> with, the, uh, with spoiler specials, I always like to start off with the big question, the one that everyone's going to be chewing on afterwards, uh, which is, uh, at a certain point in the movie, we see graffiti saying, Ape Apocalypse Now. Yes. Is that your attempt to head off every lazy headline writer? We're <laughs> <laughs> um, talking about this movie. You know, it's funny because we were, we were trying to come up with slogans and things that... Um, that the soldiers might put on their uniforms. Um, and that's where, you know, the very first image of the movie, you see Monkey Killer comes on and mm-hmm. then Bedtime for Bonzo. And then um, one of the things that was written in some of the stuff that was proposed was Apocalypse Now, which I thought was pretty great. And then it, it wasn't something that was featured. And then later when we were designing the area where the humans had escaped, yeah. um, we were thinking about the fact that this was the it was really the viral apocalypse for them these were these were um it was essentially a concentration camp for sick yep. and um so and the story has a kind of uh apocalypse now structure to it the caesar goes on this journey toward um toward woody so uh i guess i just thought it was appropriate <laughs> but <laughs> but yes i guess it was really about lazy headlines <laughs> <laughs> yeah people like me yeah, there you go. Basically. No. Yeah, heading me off at the past. No. Damn you. Damn you, Matt Somebody's Reeves. still going to say Apocalypse now. They will. They yes. will. And, and, and for the, until the end of time as there you well. Go. As well. <laughs> um, but the, the, the movie is uh, a very um, 
present movie. It's a movie about the now. Uh, Andy told me that you pitched this movie to him in great detail mm. uh, two, two and a half years ago. Yeah. While you were making, no, actually three years ago. Three years ago. Yeah, well, you, yeah, two and a half, three years ago. Yeah, yeah. while you were making Dawn. Uh, well, it was right after. Yeah. Right after, yeah. Okay, so yeah. I, I did it change? It actually didn't. Okay. You know, it really... Um, Mark Bombach and I sat down uh, right after Dawn mm-hmm. and just started... Um, actually, the first thing we did, which was really interesting, is you know, at, at the end of uh, Dawn, I actually had a moment that I didn't have at the beginning of Dawn, which was time to think. Mm-hmm. You know, when I, when I came into Dawn... Um, they were already there was already a train that was moving to a station which was the release date <laughs> yeah. and the opportunity that was presented to me was i came in they asked me if i'd be interested in doing it i love i loved rise i, I love this franchise i've loved it since i was a kid and um then they showed me what they had been working on they had an outline and i said you know i I'm, i don't think i'm going to do the movie i appreciate i'm excited that you asked me because it was not a story that I related to. I didn't think it was the right story. You know, I, I really felt that at the end of Rise, the big secret is this movie you've been watching is actually about Caesar. It's an eight-point-of-view yeah. movie. And I felt that, you know, they should follow the apes and see the world that they had created. And I had this idea about kind of like a, almost like a, a, a Western where two tribes were sort of, you know, squatting on the same land. And the question was, you know, could peace be maintained? And it would be an anatomy of violence because we know that it becomes planet of the apes, not planet of the humans and the apes. And yeah. so I, I pitched that and they were like, okay, great. And I was like, really? And I said, so what's the catch? And they said, the catch is you have to do it now. <laughs> so so we jump right in. So at the end of this, we had a moment that I didn't have um, at the beginning, which was to sit down and and watch movies and, um, and to think. And, and, so we we spent a lot of time thinking and watching and getting inspired, and we watched all the Planet of the Apes movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the story started forming, and uh, I pitched to Andy, and it was really, you know, it, it felt like we wanted to do like a biblical ape epic, you know? Um, <laughs> a war movie, but a war movie, I mean, the, we watched a lot of war movies. We watched like Bridge on the River Kwai, another Pierre Bull story. Um, and we watched uh, Apocalypse Now, of course, yeah. and The Great Escape. And and the thing that always mattered the most in the war films that we loved um, was not the spectacle, mm-hmm. although the spectacle, I mean, Apocalypse Now has some incredible spectacle, mm-hmm. but the stuff that involves you is the foreground, Mm-hmm. It's the character stuff. I mean, um, Alec Guinness in, in uh, Bridge on the River Kwai. It's like, fast, you know, b- Battle of Wills. And so it became very clear that this needed to be a test for Caesar that was greater than anything he'd gone through so far. And in each movie, he had an enormous test. And started thinking about Coba and how Caesar, for all of his empathy, couldn't empathize enough with Koba to understand that there was no way he ever could have lived alongside humans because he was treated so horribly by his human captors, you know, when he was in the lab. He was experimented on. I mean, talk about the horrors. That was like a concentration camp. Yeah. And even though he had um, tremendous empathy, he couldn't, his his sympathies didn't expend, extend that far. So I thought, well, I think that the goal of this movie should be that first of all, as the story starts, he should be haunted by that blind spot 
and really take it on personally. Feel like he he was forced to a place to break his own tenants to kill his own brother, um, and that this war might not be happening at all had he been able to find the way to empathize yeah. more deeply. And so, as a result, by provoking that question at the beginning of the film, the journey, of course, is to make him understand exactly the way Koba felt, but mm. for other specific reasons, obviously, what happens in the yeah, film. absolutely. And so, that was the pitch. You know, I sort of went and I said, well, this is this, is this journey I want to take you on. I want you to go darker. Um, and I think it'll also, though, be a journey that is more surprising because it's this really... I wanted to push the film into the realm of the mythic. I wanted to have him go off on this journey... Um, that would test him and create sort of the myth that he becomes, you know? If you imagine like a biblical epic, he's like an ape Moses. Yeah. And at, at the end of the story, you're left with this idea that he will be remembered by all the apes in such a way that is almost religious, that if it weren't for him, they would not be here. Absolutely. And that, that of course, uh, hinges on Caesar's journey in this movie being finite. And... You do kill Caesar at the end of the film. And Not me personally. You don't kill. Well, you were responsible, okay, Matt. You have right. blood in your hands. Uh, but And that was part of your pitch to, to Andy as well. Yes, it was. Um, yeah. Did you see a, a version of this movie where Caesar might not have died? You know, no. It was always, it was always part of the idea um, that this would be this last leg of this journey... And would be, um, you know, this this powerful end to the Caesar cycle. Like, the way I look at it, this is a franchise that goes on, or hopefully goes on, depends on how the movie's received by the audiences, but um, it could continue. But this section of it is a cycle of three films that are all about the, the, the epic arc that is Caesar, yeah. you know, rising from uh, humble beginnings to be a revolutionary and then being forced to be... To, to sort of rise to be a, a leader in difficult times and the one bridge that could have led to peace and he fails. And then this is this final test um, where the empathy that is his core and that has made him a great leader, uh, he's in danger of losing that. And mm -hmm. the question is, will he be consumed the way Koba was or can he transcend that hatred? And, um, and so it felt appropriate from the beginning that it would end in his passing. And there, there are so many uh, different points along the way that are very, very interesting. The, the inciting incident, if you will, for Caesar's vengeance is the death of his wife and his eldest son. Yeah, can you talk about that as well in terms of the motivation it, it gives him? But did you talk? Did you kick around other ideas? Or you know, I have to say, not really. It came. It just came very quickly. This idea of because I mean, when you think about it, it was like, well, what is going to cut him to the core? Yeah. And um, the point of the story was to push him to extremes, and he is a character who you can feel him grappling with his emotions from the very beginning. In Rise, you can there are these scenes where you can just see what's going on inside of him and feel like, wow, he's he's got mastery of himself, but I can feel that that rage wants to come out, and that moment mm -hmm. when he says no is sort of spine-tingling. But, you know, he, um, he, he just needed to be pushed in a way that was so personal mm -hmm. that it would crack that and shatter it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so uh, it felt like it had to be something that dramatic, you know? Um, 
So, you know, it was interesting. We, we watched also, you know, Outlaw Josie Wales, which is oh, a very, yeah. you know, the, the, we wanted to tell, it's an interesting thing because the, the movie encompasses a lot of genres in a weird way. Yeah. Um, and it starts as a war movie. And then because of this personal encounter, it does become like a revenge Western, you yeah. know, like a, we, to me, what was exciting was this idea that he could be a version of Caesar that we hadn't seen, that he might be like uh, an ape Clint Eastwood or something for a while, you know, and have that kind of, and that we would see him. Well, he has an orangutan best friend, so. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so it makes perfect sense. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah, it, it was, it's, uh, that, that was clear from the beginning. Yeah. But it's it's about pushing him in a different direction. It's about pushing him in a way that uh, on this quest for vengeance, where you f- you feel that here is Caesar for the first time, uh, embracing hatred. Yeah, and Caesar, who's almost ready to die at several points in the movie, he does say, "I'm I'm going to go," and I'm, I don't think I'm going to be coming back from this. Mm, yeah, uh, and but also bring him to the point by the end of the movie where he is ready to live again. Yes, and then you kill him. Can you talk about about that? Well, you know that was sort of a. Again, in the idea of the of the grand myth, you know, version of it, you know, in El Cid, um, he's he has a choice. He can go out into that battle at the end with the arrow in him, yeah. or they can take the arrow out and he won't be able to appear in the battle. Mm-hmm. And of course, he chooses to do what is the thing that he can do for his people. There seemed to be a kind of um, epic aspect to him getting through the battle, but not being able to go all the way to be in the promised land in that sort of Moses yeah. way. And I think also we felt that he needed to pay a price for not being able to let go of his revenge until too late. I mean, the the irony is that if he hadn't gone after um, Woody at the end of the film, then Preacher wouldn't have, wouldn't have gotten it. But there's another irony as well, which is that, you know, he spared preacher he showed yeah, him mercy absolutely. and then so you know we just wanted to play with all those ideas and um and there was something about the idea of seeing him in this kind of uh, mythic way completing the heroic mission mm-hmm. and then dying in the aftermath that seemed uh the most like that kind of ascension into Mythic legend. Yeah, indeed, and and the the the, the revelation that that preacher is the the person responsible for Caesar's death. Yeah. Uh, as I said to Andy, in a conventional movie, preacher would have turned and he would have assisted the apes and he would have turned against uh, the colonel and his his fellow soldiers. Yeah, and you're, not, and you're not interested in being conventional, which is wonderful. Oh, well, that's very cool. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you're not interested I'm, in being conventional. I'm very interested. If okay, you could tell me, there you go. can you pitch it for me again? What would we have done? Uh, okay. You would have, well, you have. There's still time to go back and reshoot the end of the movie. <laughs> I think. Well, you know, it's interesting. We the thing that we did do is we we went even further. The thing is, the movie it's it's a pretty epic long movie now but it was you know there was a cut of this movie that was uh just over three hours <laughs> and there was a lot of um material there's a lot of material that 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 didn't make it into the film and preacher you know gabriel Travares gave a wonderful performance but it was one of those things where when you're finding the shape of something it starts to distill down to its essence yeah and um there was more detail in his character as well he was um he was actually trying to warn Caesar about the colonel at a certain point and and um Caesar starts getting the idea that maybe this is um an, a human being who has enough empathy and compassion that he's going to be 
um, a lifeline the way that yeah. Jason Clark was and obviously the way that Will was at the beginning of his life. Yeah. And, um, and then what happens is um, there's that big scene with Woody where you understand exactly what the humans are up against and what he's personally gone through and how that has um, kind of had his character, Woody, has achieved a kind of almost religious status to his men because they're all trying to survive. They They have to believe that they have a righteous cause and that this is the path forward to do what they do because they're trying to save the human race. Mm. And in that moment, um, Caesar in the aftermath says something to uh, preacher and suddenly you realize that it seems like maybe he's going to help Caesar. And then in that moment it becomes clear, Oh wait, he, I mean, he essentially says mm. that we, uh, I am not on your side. I don't mm. know what you're thinking. Okay. He's showing him compassion, but that yeah, he, yeah. he is, it's, he is devoted. Mm -hmm. And um, he was trying to show him the way out, you know, of staying clear of the Colonel, but he wasn't trying to say, Hey, I'm, I'm on your side. This yeah. is what we have to do to survive. And that That's was one of the up. questions of the movie, you know, yeah, of course. which is that you get toward what you see as villainy from the outside. It's an eight point of view movie. And then when you get there and the curtain is pulled back, um, you know, he's what the Colonel is, is a lot closer to what Caesar is than he would like to admit. And the truth is the human situation is so much more desperate. Yeah. And, um, and there is the question of, you know, it's one thing for Caesar um, as a single ape, as a leader to say, well, you know, we want peace. But, you know, if you have two species and they are of equal intelligence, but one is seven times stronger than the other, yeah. which is yeah. the case with, yeah. with chimps and apes, um, you know, Caesar might be... be uh, empathetic and good-hearted, but um, that's not to say that the future of the planet, I mean, what happens when Caesar goes? Yeah. And, you know, will we'll all generations... So they're looking at this, and this is a moment where they have to do what they can. And the question that we always looked at was this idea of how brutal would you be willing to be in order to create a world that wouldn't have brutality like that again? Mm. You know, that their situation was so desperate, so... Anyway, so yeah, so we, yeah. There, were, there were more scenes like that, and then Caesar realized, oh, he's not, we are not together, and then Gabe came out as he does now yeah. at the end of the movie. But again, I can see how that would uh, interfere with the 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 one of the key decisions in this movie, which is, as you say, an ape point of view movie. Yes. I mean, we are even more immersed in Caesar's point of view in the apes world than we were in Dawn. In any of the films. In any of the films. Yeah. I mean, there's no human surrogate really here no. for the audience to. No, I to. wanted there to be, you know, like. The Colonel is a very important character, but I wanted it. I wanted us to be in lockstep emotionally with Caesar. I mean, the idea of putting you on a journey where you yourself want revenge, and you go on this journey, and as the Colonel reveals the the horrors that he went through and what he did, and it's chilling at the same time that it's heartbreaking, that that would provoke questions in Caesar, and at the same time it would provoke questions in the audience, so that you're in sync mm -hmm. emotionally mm -hmm. with Caesar, um, so that you would get to a place at the end where you found yourself questioning whether or not you want Caesar to kill him, because the idea is to provoke those questions in the audience. So it's, a, it's not a trick, but it is deliberate to provoke 
those feelings in the audience so that when you go through the movie, you can say, wait, what? I, I'm looking for revenge. I'm looking for murder. I want, I have bloodlust. And then to get to this place where as Caesar releases it, you feel like that's the right thing. If we'd failed miserably, and I hope we haven't, <laughs> then when that happens and, and Woody kills himself instead of Caesar, uh, then you're, the audience would probably go like, oh no, come on. Yeah. So... Anyway, hopefully yeah. we haven't. Okay. So, um, but obviously when uh, Caesar does go to kill the colonel, uh, the job is largely taken out of his hands because of this decision that you have taken to evolve the virus. Yes. And to have the second stage of, of the mm-hmm. virus. Um, and that, that seems to me that it, this movie seems to be um, more concerned with linking or setting the, the, the stage to go towards the where the original is than, sure. than say, Dawn was. Is that a, a deliberate thing? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, the idea for me, what was exciting, because Dawn actually, in its own way, is still connected to the 68 film in this way. What I found exciting about the way Rise re-entered the, uh, the story was that it eliminated, because of the 68 film, we already know the ending. And the impact of that film is the ending, right? Everyone yeah. talks about how it's a classic ending. You see the Statue of Liberty. Well, you can only do that once. There's no more surprise. <laughs> We're not going to be able to do that again, right? And that's so but what's great about that is is when you know the end of a story, uh-huh. then and you and you deliberately like there are, there's a reference where Woody is talking about this planet becoming a planet of apes and how they're going to be the cattle and we were doing that deliberately because we know that the audience knows that that's correct, so that when Woody says it, who is the villain, who you're looking at, he's right. He's actually right about just about everything he says. You might not agree with how he does it, but he's right. So the great thing for this trilogy is that it has the 68 film as a trajectory, Mm. and everything is in light of it. Even Dawn, the idea that you know that there's a moment for peace, you know that's not going to work out. Because it doesn't become Planet of the Humans and the Apes. And so (laughs) that movie, the story was made in light of an outcome we already know. And when that happens, instead of it being about the suspense of, well, will they or won't they, it becomes an anatomy of violence and looking at a slow motion car wreck and you go like, well, I know it doesn't work out. So how does it go wrong? And you, I think would assume it's going to go wrong on the human side, which it, it does, but the, the, the side where it really goes wrong is the ape side. Yeah. And I wanted that film to be as, as much about the apes as possible, to be, a, to be a Caesar and Koba story. And so that was the way that film sort of resonated against the 68 movie. And then this next step was about, okay, so if we know that it's going to become Planet of the Apes, this world that we're in, at the beginning of war and at the end of dawn is radically different still from that world. The apes that we see in that world um, are not Caesar's apes. They're, yeah. there's a, they're, yeah. they're a much darker group of apes. And the, the, the humans are mute. So it's like, well, how do we get from here to there? And so those are all the questions that were in our mind. And, and the idea of this virus was to come up with a proposed idea for how a second wave might come and that might be the reason why the Nova of that film was so mm. the Nova of our film is not meant to be Absolutely. that Nova yeah. but it's meant to sort of ring a bell that sort of connects and you sort of say hey this is um, this is what they're proposing which is that the reason that in the film we know there there are these mute humans is that the virus uh, had a second wave. Yeah. And, and of course, uh, as you said, the Nova of this film is not the Nova of the original film. But going back to the idea of Caesar being a mythical figure to the apes going forward, 
do you see this Nova equally being a mythical figure to humans going forward? So maybe that's when the name passes down. Oh, I don't know. Um, no, I saw it more like here. Like I, I imagine stories where she, she essentially, in the course of this movie, becomes an ape, mm-hmm. and she becomes part of the ape family. Mm-hmm. So her, um, her path will be quite different. Although the other thing that I do see happening, the reason that we created Bad Ape was that he was a seed for the forest that is that there are other apes out there yeah, that have gotten the the virus from the humans who were dying and that there might not only be you know pockets of single apes here and there there might be societies of apes and they would not have had the benefit of Caesar's leadership and integrity mm-hmm. and so the conflicts in the future um, while Caesar has clearly laid out these tenets and instilled um, a sense of integrity into his family of apes, uh, some of the conflicts in the future might be between his family of apes and these other yeah, these okay. other communities. And then, and then what would happen to Nova, and um, what would happen to Cornelius and and to mm. Maurice? So that was sort of the thinking was was. Um, to posit this idea that Nova was this bridge to the reason why the humans were losing their ability to speak. And, um, and I guess lastly, the important thing for her was that she represented that flicker of humanity that, you know, she represents that, that part of Caesar that still has empathy, that still has decency. And, um, she's an innocent and, uh, and he doesn't want that in his midst because all he has on his mind is bloodlust. And you have this this wonderfully dark idea of the doll being the yeah. transmitter of the and virus. that's that's a weird thing too because so we watched all these um, uh, all the Planet of the Apes movies again which we didn't have a chance to do before dawn and you know at the end of dawn so many people came up to us and said hey you were doing battle for the Planet of the Apes right <laughs> and we didn't know what the heck they were talking about because I don't know that I'd ever seen, I mean, I'm a huge Planet of the Apes fan, but I don't know that I'd ever, I'd ever even seen Battle. Right. So we watched them all and as we fin- as Battle finished, we're going, wow, it looks like we were trying to do Battle. It's really interesting. <laughs> There's a lot of story similarities to, to what we did. Um, but the fun thing was, you know, you, there was a great kind of dreaming period. We did the thing that everybody imagines Hollywood writers do that no one ever has a chance to do, mm-hmm. which is we watched a movie a day. We just watched movies and then we would talk about what we wanted to do and we would talk about our lives. And it it was almost like you just are um, gathering these little pieces that somehow the ones that resonate are going to stick and everything else is going to fall away. And the idea with the Planet of the Apes films was to sort of be in that universe and just see if it provoked anything. And there were in, what it provoked were all these details, the Nova idea, but the doll was one of them, yeah. right? Because the doll in the Forbidden Zone was an important thing. And of course, this wasn't going to be a talking doll, but we started thinking, oh, be interesting just as a nod to think that she has this doll. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, it did become this object that had a kind of irony to it because it was about compassion and um, and it's the compassion that Maurice shows her that she carries and then that she shows Caesar and then the colonel comes in and that's how he gets sick. Absolutely. And you also have the, uh, there's the, the slogan, the graffiti slogan on what is essentially a bomb. Which? Uh, which recalls as well, I think, the end of the second movie. Which, the which? 
the 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 giant canister of gas which explodes. There's a slow. Oh, the beginning and the, the end. Yeah, yeah, the alpha yeah. alpha omega. Alpha omega yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that comes from beneath, obviously. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, there were there were a lot of details that seemed because it felt like in order to do what the humans have to do, they would almost be cult become cult like, and that they would follow. Um, the colonel in a way that felt uh, like they were devoted. And and this idea of Alpha Omega um, is a is kind of religious iconography. It's this yeah. idea of the beginning and the end. And um, so that was, we were, we were like, oh, that could have an interesting resonance. Absolutely. And uh, uh, going forward, because one, one thing you don't do at the end of this movie is blow it all to hell. I mean, yeah. There is war at the end of the movie. The, the, the humans in the film uh, wipe each other out, or most you know wipe, mostly wipe each other out. But there is no nuclear exchange. You don't set that up. No, um, no. And we knew that with the yeah. Alpha Omega that there was a danger because it was an armory that people were going to think, "Well, there's going to be a nuclear explosion." <laughs> yeah. But our our idea uh, was much more um, in the realm of completing the biblical epic, and we needed a parting of the Red Sea, which was our avalanche. <laughs> you know, he needed he needed to survive that test. Yes, <laughs> indeed. Uh, but but going forward, I mean, the posters say, "Witness the end." Uh, obviously, Andy is finished with the with the with the, the movie now. Well, that's now. that's the end that that, yeah. that you're witnessing. You're witnessing the end of um, of Caesar and his ascension into the mythic status. That you know, all apes in the future will look back and say, you know, if it weren't for him, we wouldn't be here. And and so that's that was really the witness the end idea. I mean, I think you know, for me, why I was felt good when they happened on that was this idea that I think that there is a sense that when you see um, a movie that there might just be another episode and another episode and another episode. And the reason, you know, you ask at the beginning, do we always think that Caesar um, was going to die? And the reason that we did is because, look, these films are very different, these three films, but Caesar is the constant. And it felt like the idea was to come up with the last leg, the definitive journey. Like if you, if you have him do this thing, then you're going to tell another Caesar story after that. Yeah. And so the idea was to truly complete it, to complete that part of the story, not to complete the franchise, Mm -hmm. but to complete the arc of his life and Mm -hmm. what his life means. And, um, and so that's, that's the witness the end that, that we're talking about. Have we witnessed the end for you, though? I mean, you're, you're fairly busy. You're making another small independent movie next. Yeah. Uh, is, <laughs> is Apes in your future still? I hope so, yeah. I mean, I love, I love this franchise so much, and um, we've, uh, we've certainly talked about it. And, um, you know, we, I, I definitely, I, I have in my mind a lot of stories. You know, that was the whole reason... Uh, to bring in Bad Ape was that he was this, he implied a much larger world. And to me, um, not only do I love that character and the other characters um, that have been left behind, but I also can see new stories that I think, you know, I I look at the thing as this giant uh, Russian ape novel with (laughs) chapter after chapter of the stories that get us toward um, the 68 film without ever going to remake the 68 film you know yeah. like that's the that's the fun of the story is we already know the ending so everything is about the the drama um and the 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 philosophical psychological sort of aspects of what take us yes. you know the how absolutely the power vacuum that, that caesar will leave the or just the 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 moral and emotional vacuum that yeah. caesar leaves with the with the apes is is, is fascinating um 
and pushing Maurice to the fore a little bit more seems to be something that was on your mind. Sure. I mean, well, to me, the idea, again, in thinking like it was a biblical story, that he might be the lawgiver to carry forth the stories. You know, he's yes. like a, um, it, it, that that sort of idea um, of uh, having him carry that story to future generations and they look to him because he knew Caesar. Um, I also, you know, we were in a, in a way that hopefully is not too pointed. It seemed to me that the idea that the leadership mantle would be inherited by his son, and that that was another entry point. Um, but that his son might not have, not that Caesar had an easy time of it, but he was quite a good leader yeah. and it might be um, a lot harder uh, for him to lead in the absence of his father. Indeed. And having Maurice speak is a very important step as well. And it's just, yeah. yeah it's and that's that. interesting too. When we were shooting that, um, that was all meant to be signed and we're doing that scene and there, uh, Andy and Karen were, we're starting to rehearse. And I just, I just was like, mm, I don't think we should sign this. And I just, I was about to tell Karen and she said, you think I should speak this? And I was like, I do. She goes, I know I do too. And I was like, really? She goes, it just feels right, doesn't it? And so we, that is what we did. Yeah. Uh, two very, very last quick questions there, Matt. Um, I, I spoke to Andy about shooting that final scene. And he said he was in bits. Yeah. And so was Karen. We all were. It was such a strange experience because, you know, for me, uh, working on the last two movies, it's been five years of my life. And for these guys, you know, they started back on, on Rise. So that's more like eight years. And um, there was something about watching them go through that and seeing the passing of not only this character, but the the end of a friendship, mm. you know, and the love that, that the two actors, I mean, they actually, Karen and, and, and Andy do love each other. And it, it was one of these things where um, everybody was crying. <laughs> there was a thing that, that Karen did. She began sobbing in the scene. And she did this thing where uh, I was shooting the two shot. The way that it was scripted, she you weren't supposed to see Caesar die. Okay. What happened was you went up, you saw the satisfaction in his eyes, and then there was a superimposition of the, you know, you look out over the land and you see, you know, all of the apes and Nova, and you're holding on his eyes, and then the camera tips up, as uh-huh. we see, yeah. and... Um, and you see, just at that moment, his eyes finally close, and then it ends. Yes. And then, for some reason, on take three or something, I said, because they had done a beautiful job, and I said, okay, go ahead, Andy. <laughs> and then Andy started to die. Wow. And then Karen started to lose it. And she did this amazing thing where she just began stroking him to comfort him as he was passing and we were all it was that kind of thing where everybody got the chills we were all watching the monitor and it was just got deathly quiet and when I said cut just turned around and everyone had tears in their eyes and we're wow. like okay I guess that's the ending getting goosebumps here in a hotel room <laughs> a, a year later that's, that's, that's amazing and the, the, the final shot in the movie was that was always the intention to finish with the, the blue sky and the, the, that sort of it was. very biblical tableau almost in it, yeah in well that was the thing yeah. it was it was meant to be like a biblical tableau that's exactly yeah. right the only difference was meant to be that that shot um, was 
to tip up to the sky and you were still supposed to see his eyes in the clouds. And then just as his eyes closed, mm-hmm. that dissolve would finish. So there was going to, the image was going to be superimposed for yes, quite a period course. of time. Yeah. And then it would, was going to cut to black. And then when it became clear that we could go further and let, and let him pass as we were shooting, um, then I was, then I figured, well, let's still do that tip up to the sky. Cause I think we could see the sky. And it was a cool thing in the, um, in the volume, in the, in post, um, we came up with some other ideas and I was like, wow, it'd be really great if, because in the end what happened was it tipped up and nobody noticed, you know? <laughs> and, and then I was like, you know, it would be great if at the last minute, Maurice, just as we're starting to come off of them, yeah. let's rocket and the others know that he's passed. Yeah. And, um, he was so a rocket comes up and comes forward. And, uh, and so we did that in the volume that, you know, pretty late in post. And, uh, it, I think, again, added another little moment that it's the great thing about performance capture is you can make tiny alterations to the frame. You can go back in and in Dawn, we shot, we shot the whole ending about three, four weeks before the end of the movie, you know, before it was released, I called up Andy and said, you know, can we do this thing? So it's one of the great things about performance capture. Fantastic. Well, Matt, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, hopefully we'll be speaking to you in a couple of years time for the Batman spoiler special, but let's, let's get a head start, but just tell me how it ends. Sure. Caesar dies. Damn it! That guy just can't catch a break, can he? Unbelievable. Matt Reeves, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. So that was Andy Circus and Matt Reeves, and uh, now let's get on with us discussing the film, the three of us. Uh, and many of you have been sending in questions via direct message to me on Twitter, as we'll be tackling those as best as we can. But should we just set up by saying how we feel about this movie? Um, Emma, I know you are in the... This is... Uh, truly great this is five star territory for you isn't it yeah it is uh it's a weird thing to say but i do feel maybe if it wasn't the end of the trilogy it would be maybe a little bit of a four i can't i think because it comes as part of a trilogy and it is the ending mm-hmm. i just think it is so perfectly rounded off and i think i mean i'll talk about the ending later i don't think i can bring myself to start off with that but it, <laughs> <laughs> i so i usually work in the podcast i had a meltdown but um yeah i believe I believe it's a five-star film. I'd say that in a very roundabout way. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, Chris. It's a it's a truly great five-star film. But you're me. firmly in the yes camp. Yes, Helen, you're a little bit wavery. Yeah, I'm. I'm leaning. I'm leaning a bit. Not quite so much. Yes. Okay. I mean, I I think like it's, it's an extraordinary piece of, of filmmaking in terms of the effects and everything. I think the performances are all very good. Solid. Um, I think it's it's it looks beautiful. Uh, you know the landscapes, you know, the, the sort of the wide sweep of it is mm-hmm. is great. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't maybe I just don't love it, and we can talk about why that is. But I just I yeah. have some issues. I I think it's the best this trilogy, but I didn't particularly I didn't like the first one at all. Rise. Okay. I liked the second one, but with reservations. Uh, and I I thought this one was really bold and brave. And the fact that it's largely a POV was interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think we'll discuss the human characters in a second, such as they are. But um, yeah, but I, 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 you know, I think I feel that um, I feel that it's a really interesting and and uh, precise piece of filmmaking from absolutely. from Matt Reeves. I have a, a a similar quibble with this one than I had with the last one, um, to an even greater extent, which is its female characters suck to the extent that they exist at all. Um, you have the one that's killed. You have the one that ha- literally has no voice, and that's it. There's a doll, Helen, uh, <laughs> which plays a major part. I think 
well, you're overlooking that, aren't wow. you? Wow. I mean, yeah. if there's a doll, Chris, yeah. with no she face. She has a dress and everything. <laughs> listen, yeah, she has no listen, face. doll. <laughs> I'll talk about sexism around here. It's bad that, you know, I, I don't ever think, I do not think of that. I, it, I don't know if that says more about me, but I don't even think about that. Is that weird? I mean, look, I, I you, you know, say it and I'm like, yeah, I, I mean, it's a, but. it's a, it's a war movie. The Get Out Clause is it's a war movie, mm-hmm. but it isn't just a war movie. It's a, it's a movie about two societies. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and also it's an apocalyptic film. So, you know, we do see at least one female soldier. We see her. We don't get anything from her. Yes. Um, we see at, one, at least one female soldier. But, you know, if it is an apocalyptic thing, maybe there should be more women in the army. That was sort of a, mm-hmm. a little bit of a, a suggestion yeah. last time, which mm-hmm. they've kind of dropped. Um, and why are there no... Of you know, leading female apes. Well, Maurice, thank goodness. But, like, but I mean, Maurice is not. A, Maurice is not. A, I know that there's an actress <laughs> beneath Maurice, but you don't get any points sure. for her playing a him. Sorry, so yeah, half a point. No, don't you mean? don't. No, no yeah. points. How many people actually know it's her? Let's be honest. Exactly. Which is a shame. But so it just. Um, it, I just feel like we're all. You know. I, I, I don't know. It just it really annoys me. We've had okay. this conversation. We've had this conversation about yeah. all sorts of different franchises, and specifically about this franchise. You're ignoring half the human race. You don't get points for that, anyway. And the eight brace. I think this is something that this whole franchise has had. This trilogy's had. I mean, yeah, I think they've if, had uh, terrible female roles from the get go. Yeah, um, Frida Pinto's role in the first one is. That's I'd the high point. Possibly the most underwritten female lead I've seen in the movie. Mm-hmm. Maybe Abby Cornish in Robocop and a big, big blockbuster <laughs> oh, wow, yeah. Uh, yeah. for a long, long time. Uh, it was uh, it was a little bit, what? Kerry Russell in Dawn? <laughs> I've learned, I've there learned, you I've go. learned it. Rise, <laughs> Dawn, it, War. It. Rise, Dawn, War. Kerry Russell in, 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 in Dawn had mm-hmm. a little bit more to do and was a little bit more the, the centre point of that movie. Mm, I think Jason really. Clark ultimately but, overtook But Kerry Russell yeah, in... in Dawn? Dawn. Dawn. Rise Dawn War. Rise Dawn War. War. Not alphabetical order. Okay. Um, She, her her character Mm -hmm. and Judy Greer's character could be entirely summed up by the word nurturing. (laughs) Like nothing, like there was no other significant word that you need to use if you say nurturing. So, But there's there's a decision that's made here, uh, which is to focus on the apes rather than the humans. Yeah. And the, the, the human side of this movie would be interesting because you do have the idea that these guys are some of the last humans left. I don't think that this movie is completely apocalyptic. I don't think that, you know, mankind is wiped out at the end of this film. I think they're going to go on and go on and go on. But there is interesting about the role of rebuilding society. Yeah, that was an interesting thing, actually, that I I thought was was fascinating about this movie, the idea that there's a second wave of this plague. Yeah. So after killing, what, 90, 99% of humanity... In its first wave, it now denies humans language yeah. uh, in the second wave. Now, that's a really interesting idea, and that does actually lay the way the way for the planet of the apes that we yeah. see Charlton Heston arrive at. Mm. Uh, and that's really strong. Yeah. Um, although, doesn't it mean that Charles, uh, Charlton Heston and, and his fellows should also be struck by the same plague? But it's thousands of years in the future. So it doesn't matter. I'm it would still be maybe around. Maybe it's... Wouldn't, wouldn't if, the, if, if But humanity... now you're talking about retconning. Yeah, I am. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a movie um... that took place <laughs> made 50 years ago. We're going to have to go back, guys. Is it really thousands of years, though? Yeah. Cornelius is just a name handed down, then? Yeah. Same with Nova. Okay. So these are just... These are, just these these are the archetypes. Yeah. As people will know, having just heard the uh, interview with Matt Reeves. I think they they have been given a lot of thought to why the humans are mute sure. yeah. in the future. And we're not at the point yet where... Because obviously there has to be a mankind 
you would think to have a, a nuclear attack, a nuclear conflagration. We're still we're still heading towards that yeah. version of the, to that movie. I don't think we'll, as Matt Reeves said, he doesn't think we'll ever get there, and he doesn't think they should ever get there. That that movie should mm-hmm. exist on its own. Mm-hmm. But they are heading that in that in that way, and you have to think at least hundreds of years has to go past for the ape society to get to the point that it has. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, it does. Yeah, 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 no question. I mean, although if they go at the speed of like, you know, how well Weta are progressing, <laughs> I think we've only got to wait till Christmas, haven't we? That'd be fine. Ape wetters like in, in a couple of thousand years. It's like oh, the, the humans are really imagine. realistic. You can yeah, see the skin tones. It's amazing. <laughs> uh, what I do like about that, though, you're saying about obviously Nova is a is an Easter egg name and everything, <laughs> yeah. but it does mean that I was trying to think a minute ago, and I don't think any humans are off are actually rewarded with names, are they? Because you've got the Colonel. Oh well, he's got McCullough, he's got McCullough written yeah. on his yeah, on his but, thing there. Like, so. Other than that. It doesn't seem to be anything personal. No, it's sort of like the preacher, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. yeah. And I don't remember that character ever being named. No, on, he's not on... He's not addressed as such. He just has it very visibly on his... And she just becomes yeah. Nova when she gets handed the little thing, doesn't she? Yeah. So there's a sort of humanisation of the apes uh, at, the, at the expense of the humanity yeah. of the humans yeah. idea, which is a sort of passing of the torch or something. Yeah. And I but that's of... been the story of all, all of these films, really. Yeah. I, I kind of feel that... I, I wonder if Matt Reeves would have done that on the last one. I think he came into it fairly late in the day as a director on the last one and maybe he inherited what was already there because Rupert Wyatt was going to direct it then yeah. left uh, and I think maybe had the effects been at the level that they are now there's a couple of dodgy shots in this movie but when you're talking about a film that, that goes this deep in this detail yeah. to, to oh, just go incredible. there's a couple of dodgy shots is pretty amazing um the, the work in this is astonishing. And maybe, had the effects been at that level, he might have decided to go all in on the ape POV thing last time. And we got some questions about that as well. But, you know, some people asking, you know, was it too much? And I kind of, at this point in this movie, I'd be okay with an apes movie in which humans don't appear at all. Yeah. I'd be okay with that. I don't even... You get to the point where... I forget they're obviously not real. A lot of people are going to get to that point. They just, it's not like maybe recently with, say, some of the CG work in Star Wars or whatever, when you go, oh, you've maybe had that character on on the screen a little bit too long and it's starting to look a bit not real mm. with obviously Tarkin and everything. But um, no, the apes, I, Caesar was Caesar and I didn't. That's a great point. Question it. In the same, in the same 12 month span that we had yeah. that dreadful Tarkin at the end of Rogue uh, all the way through Rogue One we have this yeah. CG and it's at, at first it was level. I was like oh wow but yeah. then I think just a little bit too much but yeah with this if they can carry the whole film I mean mm. Disney need to talk to Weta <laughs> <laughs> I think ILM, ILM, I, ILM some, <laughs> they've got some game like, they've got some game I I know, just, if, if I had a choice Caesar. I'd go with it if I honestly and I'm, an, I'm an ILM I'm an ILM loyalist um, <laughs> I would no. go I would go ILM uh, in the special effects battle throughout okay. history, if I had a choice, if I was directing the movie, I had a choice in two effects houses. Uh, nat- I would, I would, I would still go towards ILM. Nice, yum. They 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 deliver, Wetter. but now and again they falter. But then so do Weta. Uh, but anyway, so here we go. But they're both brilliant. We love them both. Uh, <laughs> so here's some questions. So Dave Frame Store CFC. Like, yes. Yeah, those guys and Dean Egg and uh, you know, just love effects. <laughs> we love it. Just imagining in the future. Ape actors wearing ping pong ball suits. It's going to be amazing. Uh, right, so follow, follow. Here's the first question from follow, follow. Uh, does this film mark the point at which actors specifically anti-circus receive award buzz and then recognition for the frankly stupendous performances? Or is the tech now so convincing that motion capture may 
trick audiences into underestimating the skill involved? Okay, so I'm I'm quite... Uh, the thing with Andy Serkis, which I think a lot of people know, is that the reason that they wouldn't consider him for any recognition for Gollum back in the day was because mm. a lot of it is still manipulated a little bit. Because obviously, Gollum's face is a bit more rubbery and... You know, there's certain things that are a bit more over-accentuated than what Andy actually does, but a lot of it is basically bang on. And you can yeah. see that now with Dawn, and there's a lot of stuff from Dawn and obviously from Rise. So I th- but the muscles, Sorry. you're right, the muscles don't always add up or match up. So you have to still do some hand manipulation mm-hmm. to make to get what he does yeah. onto the ape face. I think it's probably fair to say. Yeah. However, the performance you know the stance you can again we can see it we can see so much video of him from the set we know that it is caesar is andy circus andy circus is caesar i mean i don't really know where you draw the line anymore but i think andy circus did not fling poo did he not during the interview i'm so i'm do you know what i'm very very yeah. very relieved to hear that can i just say for very quickly as well and how pleased i was that finally they remembered that apes fling poo and they <laughs> made it a, a crucial plot point <laughs> Feces flinging. That was my yeah. favourite bit in the film. <laughs> but um, I, I believe, love Andy Serkis, and I think he's incredible. And I think, I wouldn't say he's underrated, I just think he's underappreciated because I think we take for granted what he can do now. I think special achievement awards is a kind of thing. I don't believe that the Oscars are at that point yet. Until it's sort of side by side, they can see that it's 100% yeah. the same. I think... They need to bring in a special achievement award because what he's done is, and everyone else in it, it's remarkable. I, I mean, I agree that he he is extraordinary and amazing, yeah, and I I think he should be recognised for that. Yeah. But I feel like if if you start considering the actor for that for a straight up acting award for these things, then you yeah. do actually um, you, you fail to recognise the genius of the CG artist. Absolutely. And so I, it, that doesn't actually feel like a more fair solution yeah. to me because even if all they do is match up to what he's doing, that still takes artistry. It's not just a mechanical process. Yeah. And so I, I think if it, it should be, maybe there's a special category, maybe that's what you do and you award... Yeah, it combines you award, it somehow. Yeah, you combine... Yeah, you, you just know. Andy Circus five times. The Andy Circus <laughs> award for... No, but I mean, maybe it is. You know, it's it's the the actor and also the artists who who put the performance on top of that. Yeah, maybe that's so that's the solution. But that's a, that's a, that is a big group potentially, yeah. um, or it's a series of special achievement awards for the people who can do this. But mm. it is not. It's not as simple as not he's being simple. overlooked. No, although he is also. Yeah, it's a really difficult one because he just far and away just excels in this area, doesn't he? Um, and we all obviously just love him very much and want to see him. And what he's done here is he's he's crafted a character yeah, over three films that we have watched grow and change and evolve. And even in this film, he goes on this really interesting journey. Mm. And he is absolutely the anchor in this movie. Uh, more believable for me in this film than James Franco was in the first movie. <laughs> and uh, I just, I think it, this is a really wonderful performance mm-hmm. and a really yeah. fascinating character and a character I really liked and I was sad to see him go. I think this movie has a lot of uh, shares a lot of DNA with Logan. Yeah, this okay. movie very for much me. so. And I wonder if I wonder if Matt Reeves and, and Jim Mangle were aware of that when they were making <laughs> these Fox, you know, were they developing them side by side and maybe they were maybe <laughs> they could hear each other through the walls and going, 
Oh, oh, maybe I should. Yeah, maybe I should. Uh, maybe, yeah, yeah, maybe I should kill the lead I, character as, as your lawyer, Chris. Yeah. No, just you know, just you know, like maybe you know, or the canteen. You go, hey, hey, Jim, what are you doing? You killing your lead character? Yep. How you doing so in a vaguely religious way? Yep. <laughs> okay. All right. Oh. Might as well push on. Uh, I just wonder if maybe there maybe there's just some something in the water at the Fox Canteen. <laughs> you know? Did you? I mean, a melancholy vibe in the water. Maybe I prefer this a lot to Logan, though. So. Oh, get out! I, well, I just realised I think that I prefer is get out weird. to look and. Get out! But I think that's probably a. I don't know. Yeah, you're right. They are very. There's a lot of religious. Uh, not even undertones. I mean, yeah, I mean they're, they're <laughs> I mean, full on overtones, blue I mean, tones. The, the last shot is this. I don't know, Matt Reeves talked about this in the interview about how he wanted to go for a biblical, a biblical epic kind of feel, <laughs> but there is. I mean, you hear the, the Michael Cicchino and his... his I, I like to think Michael Cicchino's leading the choir here singing, going... Oh, Paradise Found, yeah. yeah. It's, it's I mean, amazing. have you seen Hail Caesar? I have yeah. seen Hail Caesar, Right, you yes. remember the biblical epic in Hail Caesar. Yeah. There's, a, there's a little touch of it, though, at the end, isn't there? It's a little, little bit, yeah, but what are they doing, Helen? What are they doing at the end of this movie? They're hailing Caesar. I mean, come on. Oh, Christopher. Oh, it all hangs together. Yeah. Caesar's a terrible father. <laughs> How dare you? He is, though. How? How much time does he actually spend with that tiny, tiny child who's, the, who the needs The child him? that falls off the horse in one of I, the most gifable moments of dawn. No, not the, not the blonde girl, <laughs> his own child. No, no, I know. Do you remember the, the baby oh, yeah. falls in the water and oh, the, off the horse in the yeah. second one? I'm, I'm kind of with, with you a little bit in that. Oh. He... Drops everything, yeah. You know, to go full outlaw Josie Wells here. Yeah. They're looking after the baby. Yeah, he's taking he's taken on a deep. Yeah, yeah. He's left his two-year-old, his bereaved two-year-old. I, I can feel my heart hurting. And he he goes off, expecting never not to, to return. Come back. Yeah, yeah. But he's left him with a really nice adopted fam, adoptive family. No, yeah. just just a, a nanny actually. Oh. His son's ex-girlfriend, that's what he's left him with. I'm leaving you now, son, but hopefully along the way I will find a little human girl who will take your place in my heart. It and, did uh, feel like that a little bit. It yeah. did feel a little bit like... Teach me the error of my ways and I will decide to come back and lead you, but oh no, I've been shot in the side by the man I let go at the beginning of the film. This is a strange piece of dialogue, isn't it? It seems to be setting out what's happening in the rest of the film, but there you go. Anyway, I'm off now. Like <laughs> Bye. It's all done in post. I see. <laughs> On set, he's like, "Where's son?" I uh... yeah. No, he's a he's a bad dad. He's, he's a, a he's a dad. bad ape dad. He's got a lot going on. Like it's not <laughs> it's for the greater you're, good. You're you know? determined to make excuses. He's a utilitarian for him. ape. He's um, John Stuart Millsian. What's Caesar he got is. in you, Emma? What's he What's he got in you? You seem to be. I actually... It's number one fan. I do worry about myself sometimes with films when I feel so invested. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So I'm like, I'm sitting here and I'm I'm feeling very passionate. Like You were feeling attacked right now about, when I called him a no, bad I'm dad, not, weren't you? But I just feel yeah. sad. I don't know what it is about Caesar. I, I think that's why I had the most ridiculous reaction to this film at the end. And apologies to everybody sitting near me. Because I just think I buy into it so much and I... I don't know what it is about that world, but I think what Matt Reeves did, with, what Matt Reeves did with the last film, how big it was compared to the first one, yeah. and just how huge it's got, yeah. it's just had me by like the scruff of the neck the whole way. And then I don't know, I gave myself a bit of a headache from the beginning. I cried about two minutes in. I don't know why. I just was excited. You were probably excited. You were probably looking at uh, Caesar's wife and son and thinking, "Well, you're Judy, dead." I just thought, Do you know what, Judy Greer, we need to have a chat with your agent. Yes, yeah, seriously. 
She's always just there for like two seconds at the moment, isn't she? Bless yeah, her. A little bit. Um, so let's talk about the ending. Because again, oh, to, to talk about the comparisons between Innocent and Logan, both are movies uh, in which the lead character dies. Yeah, uh, while leading in, an exodus. While leading an exodus. Uh, but they're both movies in which I think that death, with the benefit of hindsight, feels inevitable. Yeah. Even though yeah. I would quite like both of them to be up and around and, and running around and maybe even doing a shared universe Together. thing. Yeah. <laughs> Caesar on Logan's back. That'd be pretty, <laughs> that'd that'd be pretty cool. That'd be amazing. Um, um, I think you're right about the inevitability because if you live past the war and you stay in leadership, it becomes politics. Mm-hmm. Doesn't it? I mean, as it is, he is. You know, he's the Moses figure. Mm-hmm. Um, he's yeah. the Jesus figure, whatever you want to say. He's but if if you figure. if you mm-hmm. if you if you stay, if you live, and you keep going, then you have to do the day to day dirty work, and we have no interest in seeing that in our leaders, actually. Um, so you end up with this. Um, it, this is almost a narratively preferable solution, yeah, I suppose. I see. But it's also it's 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 obviously a film about anger and vengeance and guilt and redemption and yeah. I think he he gets to the point where is, he gets to the point where he is beyond that and he's at peace. But also, is there a is there an element of uh, atonement or mm. punishment in the death? Like he he redeems himself by. You know, by forswearing vengeance and and mm-hmm. and coming back to his original mission, which is keeping his people safe and alive. Mm-hmm. Um, but because he made the sin of doubting that, moving away from that, it's the Moses comparison exactly. Yeah. So Moses didn't live to see the promised land, yes, of course, or to reach the promised land because he doubted along the way, mm-hmm. and therefore he was denied that. Yeah, yeah, culmination. I and and right. similarly yeah. here, because he gave into vengeance and because he given to revenge, then there's a sort of a penalty that has to be paid down the line. Maybe. But it's interesting that uh, the character that he lets go, the character he shows uh, mercy to at yeah. the beginning of the film, is the one that ultimately takes mm. him out in it's, the Save and Private Ryan. Do you know what? It's the reverse think, of uh, Lord of the Rings, where Bilbo's mercy to Gollum uh-huh. allows Gollum to save the day. Yes. It's, it's the reverse it is reverse. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. But I was glad, and again, not to repeat too much of what I said to Matt Reeves, but I was kind of glad of that in a way because I think we were probably all expecting uh, the, the preach, the preacher, preach man, yeah. uh, to to turn around and, and help the apes against his fellow humans. And yeah. that wouldn't ring true, I think. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. Um, but a, a fitting end, I would say, for, for Caesar. Although it might have made the humans a little bit more nuanced. I don't know. They were very bad here. And I know we're seeing it from the apes' point of view. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, we're seeing that at this point, the only good human is a dead human, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, the, even even the, the father who's taking care of what yeah. becomes Nova... He goes for his gun. They don't just shoot him because they're startled yeah. or something. He is a bad guy. He goes for the gun yeah. first. Yeah. Um, you know, all of these soldiers, there's no real redeeming moments of humanity towards the apes here for them at all. I have to say, I was intrigued by Nova's lack of reaction when a man that we were led to believe was her father yeah, died. And it let me start thinking, was he her dad? Or is, that even, uh, is, there, a, is there a darker story behind what's going on there oh. well just like what has she seen I don't know like 
Even if she hasn't seen much, I know she's maybe in the grip of the of the disease, and maybe her maybe. her faculties are not quite what they were. But you'd be able to put two and two together. My yeah. dad, he went out to get the wood, and now he uh, here he is dead, and these apes with the guns. Because oh. yeah. she's clearly startled, she runs, she hides. Yeah, That's, yeah. So she is she has enough wit to be scared of them. Yeah. But then she, I don't know, is it as simple as she, she realizes his body. that they're not they're mm. not going to harm her? I don't That's know. Okay, so here's a question from uh, Hi Andy Gaffney, whose Twitter handle is surely put together just for so he can get shout outs on podcasts. Hi Andy Gaffney. <laughs> uh, great film, but did the rather deus ex machina like avalanche ending happen because <laughs> Matt Reeves got a call about doing Batman just as he was finishing the script, <laughs> but then left to buy several Maseratis? Um, I don't think we had a chance to ask him that, yeah. but. Um, I've always seen him as more of a Lamborghini man, but. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. I don't think he is at all. He's, um, he's a Prius guy. Yeah, he is. There's really, something really dapper and he's very sensitive. He, yeah. Tesla. Tesla. Yeah, maybe he's, he's he, yeah, he's splashed on Tesla. Anyway. Um, I beg your pardon? Uh, what, no, Chris. Ew. Oh, you mean he, okay. Yes. Anyway, uh, I, uh, I, I did think it was an avalanche ex machina when I saw it. Um, Deus ex avalanche? I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> But at the same time, it does vaguely, you know, there have just been a bunch of explosions yeah. at the bottom of the hill that could cause an avalanche in the higher reaches, you know, it's a thing that could happen. This is, when I'd seen the film, having a chat after, and I realised that about 50% of people, well, okay, maybe 75% of people in my group sort of thought that that was all of the humans gone. And I was like, hmm. Surely that's a really stupid reading because, and then I was, and then the twenty five percent like me was like, well, no, surely not. So that's interesting because that was a real. Mm. That's not all the humans left in the world. They're no, not but all I think in that army. We've we've it's had meant to insinuate. It's, it's, there is an insinuation that this is the last of certainly the American military. Yeah, yeah, and so that's what's gone right now. I, that's what how I took it. Certainly in the West, I mean, which is presumably yeah. where there is the greatest concentration of apes. Because sure. that's where we had the mass breakout. Yeah, that's where we had this, you know, this this large ape population set up. So presumably, and again, these are all this is all speculation. This should be the biggest ape concentration yeah. outside of really Africa. Yeah, or or similar think. places that have lots of apes. Um, to me, actually, the apes felt almost secondary to the humans in this one. That they really? were very focused on their own battles. Yes, I know that Woody Harrell, bad bad colonel. Bad ape, bad colonel. Bad colonel. Uh, kidnaps, steals, uh, takes the, all the apes prisoner and then yeah. it turns into the great escape, but with the emphasis heavily on ape. Um, <laughs> but it, for me, it felt like he was preparing for the, the, the battle against the humans. And the other humans coming in, they felt that they didn't even know there were apes in the area. So yeah. I feel it was very much, we were watching, we were almost on the sidelines watching the last gasps, the last knockings of the human race in this yeah. part of the world. In this part yeah, of the world, I agree yeah. with that for sure. But I do want to know what happened to the Jason Clark character. I do want to know what happened mm. to Kerry Russell. I do want to know what happened to yeah. them. Yeah, I think uh, go whistle yeah. for those. Yeah. Um, what happened to, you know, Matt Reeves talked about a boat arriving. That was the original ending yeah. of Dawn was yeah. going to be this this sort of steamship, this, this kind of this warship arrives. So who was that going to be? Was that going to be the forces from up the coast? I don't know. That's huh. very interesting. But they could it? still, yeah, they could have been. And, and also, I'm I'm kind of intrigued by the 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 cause of the battle between the two human groups that we're yeah. told about is that McCulloch, uh, Woody Harrelson, is being much harsher in his treatment of anyone infected with the second wave virus, yeah. and they are all touchy feely and no, it's okay, we can work this out. <laughs> um, uh, shouldn't they have been crippled by that? 
if it is as virulent as it appears to be, because it certainly seems that if you just touch a doll with the stuff, well, you're, like you're going to be, yeah, boom, done. So I'm surprised that they were able to muster as much of a force as they were. Who, the, the, what the, the, what the, 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 the white-dressed um, attacking humans. If they, they were the ones who were touchy-feely about the second wave virus, so shouldn't they all be mute and unable to... I they were. I think it was more... Function. Uh, well... Well, not, I'm not saying they yeah. were hugging people with the virus, but I'm, I am saying they weren't just executing them out of out of hand. So I would have expected, if if, if anything Harrelson said was right, I would have expected them to be more affected. Well, I don't, I don't know. But uh, I would also say that tactically, is it a wise thing to send all your soldiers I, in? Yeah, I know. <laughs> that was a lot of... So people. There might be loads of soldiers knocking around somewhere else. They might yeah. be waiting for the call. Who knows? But I mean, yeah. tactically, you also had this force of apes riding along ridge lines because it looks cool rather than like in the valleys where it's much safer. So, like, the <laughs> tactics were all over the place. But the apes wouldn't have read The Art of War yet. Well, the apes and, should have had more animal sense. Well, I, I, I do worry because, you know, <laughs> the apes will obviously evolve their society to the, get to the point where they're going to be, you know, putting Charlton Heston in a cage and sure. whatnot. Uh, but. I did worry. I was like, when, when Caesar gets shot, I was like, oh, no, right, the ape doctor will just take care of that. I went, no, they don't have an ape doctor because they haven't evolved to that point. They're smart and they can speak and they can hold rudimentary tools and, mm. you know, but oh, they can't... Paging Dr. Sayers. <laughs> Where's Dr. Sayers? Also, very few of them actually spoke yeah. uh, yes. in terms of using English yeah. or using... Yeah. Signing. Yeah, they? they were signing rather than anything else. But this is the but thing, like, the way that... Do they have a secondary mutation? Do they have a secondary wave? Is the virus going to affect them yeah. in a different way? As it robs humans of their speech, is it going to imbue the apes? Yeah, is it a coincidence, for example, that uh, Maurice yeah. Chevalier um, <laughs> speaks for the first time after hanging out, after oh, I love it. Hanging out with Nova and the doll and, and yeah. Cesar? Isn't Maurice great? It seems awfully neat if that's the case, but yeah. you're right, that, that, would, that would explain. Neat? It's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> Helen's fully on board with this movie. <laughs> we've we've had a nah, at least at least once. We may have another two or so before the end of the show. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I, I like that. I, I and I thought at one point that Maurice was going to die, and it's my oh, favorite damn ape. Uh, oh no, but, but or orangutan or whatever. But the poor gorilla. Oh, I felt I felt bad for Red the gorilla. So, mm. which one's Red? The one who died. Who died on the mountain? Oh, right, yes, him. Yeah. Well, did they kill Winter? Yeah. Yes. How did the humans not discover? Oh, oh, yeah, he killed... Oh, yeah, they, well, they, that was brutal. Yeah, they all piled on. That was actually really brutal. Yeah. He strangled him, didn't yeah. he? He thought yeah. him, Caesar. So the humans presumably will walked in and go, Winter! Oh, he's dead. Well, it looks like natural causes to me. I'm sure there's nothing suspicious happening yeah. here. And then they drive off with four apes visibly behind them on horseback... <laughs> And and apparently no one ever looks over their shoulder. <laughs> or in the rearview mirror. Uh, boss, boss, um, <laughs> four apes on horseback following us? I'm sure it'll be fine. It's okay. We've got <laughs> petrol. We'll outdrive them. It's good. Uh, General Obi-Mu asks a number of questions. Is that it for the human race? I would say no. No. Uh, but I would, I would equally welcome good. a fourth movie that was apes only. Mm. Can't take anymore. But obviously, we don't have Andy Circus anymore to anchor the whole thing. But uh, Maurice doing stand up now—he's got the power of speech. Would be really oh, cool. Oh, have a Maurice spinoff! I am so game for that. 
General Umibu says, Did I miss the joke with Bad Ape? He had funny moments, but the audience I saw it with were Bane, like he was Chaplin every time he did or said anything. Uh, but if he was behaving like Chaplin, no one would be laughing. Um, well, while I saw him as a tragic lost figure. Oh, so like Chaplin. Um, so, both are true of Chaplin <laughs> and indeed Bad Ape. So the thing, yes, yeah, so my, my screening... Uh, and every time I see Bad Ape, I think Bad Horse and Doctor Horrible. So just... <laughs> oh, I've still not seen that. Okay, bad, we're, we're going to watch Ape's that. My Bad Ape's my uh, my lock screen now. He's very cool. Really? Well, yeah. I mean, the back of my ugly. back of my phone. It's cool. It's he a really is. good poster, like a Banksy he is, type like a poster. Banksy thing, yeah. Oh yeah, I don't um, want to be looksist, but like he's super ugly. So what we're judging apes on their looks now? Is this is this where we are? Helen, would you I'm not? Sorry, he's not. Ew. Oh I would not. no, would you? Please don't judge. Apes oh, I mean, okay. <laughs> right. Okay, sorry. I thought you were. I thought you were doing fuck marry kill with the with the apes. It's like, well, okay, I'd marry Morris. Oh my okay, exactly. I would. We're doing this, aren't we? I would. <laughs> he is. Let's just let him go. Yeah. I would probably. Uh-huh. Okay, probably allow. No, just stop. Winter's just... quite commanding, no. isn't he? <laughs> yeah, and I'd kill. Helen, make him stop. The ape, Emma. the things, the poo. Okay, so uh, you bad want, ape. You don't want that happening during the act of Congress, do you? Should we talk about bad ape? Tell us about bad ape. Basically, uh, Mr. General Obi Mr. General? Uh, Mr. General. Mr. General. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mr. General, uh, yes, my screening, uh, everybody was, as you said, baying. And do you know what? I, I absolutely love him. I think I'm a huge fan of Steve Zahn anyway, and I think knowing it's him, it adds a, adds a bit of. Uh, a bit of comedy to it anyway but I think he's an inspired edition I think it could have ended up really panto and I <laughs> yeah I think some people might agree it is a bit because there is a bit of slapstick and he does fall over but I think they tread I thought they trod the line perfectly because it I don't think it necessarily needs levity because it is we accept the whole way through this is a bleak set of circumstances but I think that you know the idea of a bit of levity was a great one and it didn't upset the balance too much and on a really weird point, I love the syncopation of his speech in it. I love his speech pattern and just what he brought to that role. I just thought it was amazing. Well, yeah. he's probably my favourite character of the year. Really? Yeah. Wow. Up there. Up there. Whew. Let's put it out there. Ruddy hell. Yeah. yeah. Golly. No, I'm a big fan of Batman. So, Shag Mario Kill. No. He's going to be my best friend. Moving on. I'm, like not, sure what, I'm, not, sure what, I'm not sure which one that means. No, not like Bubble Helen. <laughs> Chris, please ask the next question. Yes. Okay, next question is from uh, a Bubbles. Uh, is it chimpanzee? No. Next question is from Craig Garvey at Yell at the Abyss. And he says, were you pleasantly surprised that in the film with war in the title, they went in a less predictable direction? There might have been less time spent showing humans and apes fighting each other than in each of the previous films. I do feel a little bit like, you know, to heavily paraphrase, because I can never get this right, Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park is like, yeah, you do uh, you do eventually plan to have some uh, 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 a war in your uh, uh, War for the Planet of the Apes movie. Uh, hello, hello. You know, it's... I felt a bit like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also, we, we were sold so heavily on those scenes in the trailer with apes reloading guns for humans, and that is perhaps three shots in the movie. And, and it just feels a bit... Uh, a little bit like we were slightly sold a misleading bill of goods, and I, you know, I'm actually not not in favour of of having sometimes misleading trailers. I think it can be quite a good thing, and it can make a film feel fresh when it when it gets here. But I, I, again, you call it war for the planet of the apes. I think you needed a bit more 
warring for the planet of the apes. Also, oh, it's not a planet of the apes at this point. No. It is a war for a small patch of forest. Well, it's a war, war for, for the, the future of the ape civilization, potentially, if we if we accept that Caesar is the founder thereof. Mm. I mean, Which seems a bit amerocentric, to be to be honest to me. But you know, if the if the virus has gone global, but you know, I'll allow it. Whatever. You can read the title many ways, obviously. So it's a war for it's a personal war for Caesar. It's you know, he's got a war raging inside him. It's a war for the planet anyway, because mm. you've got the humans and the apes battling. And then it's a war for the humans, even though they're not quite as important as the apes in the film. It's a war for them to stay alive. There's so many little wars in here. Um, I just think that... I don't think it matters personally. Well, I'm happy I don't watch trailers, as always. Uh, and Nick, actually, at lunchtime, he said to me, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna see, he's funny seeing apes. And he said, yeah, because I don't feel like they've shown a lot of the war stuff in the, in the trailers yet. And I was like, yeah, yeah, no, I think that's a good idea. You, you, there's a lot of stuff you haven't, you haven't, you know, you'll be looking forward to in that case. And I'm like, there's not really much war. So when he comes out, that'd be interesting to see. Dear oh, he's already had but, the film. He's had, he's had the film spoiled for him. Uh, and oh, the having a conversation yesterday with another colleague no. who didn't hear. Nick was like, I said, Nick, have you seen the film yet? And Nick was like, oh, no, no, I haven't seen it yet. I'm going to see it hopefully at the weekend. And, uh, and then he said, yeah, but yeah, it'd be interesting to see if this is the last one. Oh, Even though so it says, witness the end on the poster. Yeah. So said, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if this is the last one. And then another colleague, who should remain unnamed. Mm-hmm. It's James, like, isn't it? No. Ah. Um, went, oh, but you know, it is, you know, it's, it's, you know, it may not be the last one because obviously, you know, Caesar may be dead, but they can take his son now and they can carry on with that. Uh, oh. Nick hasn't seen it, but okay. <laughs> oh dear. Um, but yeah, I, don't, I personally don't think it matters that there's not a lot of action in it. I mean, there's a lot of, we've had the, ho- we've had the monkeys on the horses in the last film. We've had a, we've had a monkey in a tank, for goodness sake. Yeah, that amazing tracking shot in the last film. Um, but, I think it's really quite harrowing anyway. I mean, I felt like every bullet and, you know, I, I found it really sad. And actually, as soon as I came out, I sort of, I think I tweeted something like, a, like, lol at taking anyone under 12 to see this film. Because it's, um, it's really... It's, it's brutal. It's, it's really brutal. brutal. Yeah. And I know there's not a lot of blood. I know that's like one of the 12A kind of things, isn't it? Oh, I know, don't, don't get me started. Blood and all that. Yeah. But that, there was a lot of young kids in my screening and I was just thinking that is I'm sure they've seen the other two but that is re- mm. you know I yeah. I thought it was really 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 it's, tough it's at some, pretty brutal. some point yeah. what do we think is like, what do we think of the developments for example that you know the subjugation of some of the apes to become essentially lackeys donkeys. And, and donkeys that that horrible mm. word yeah I feel like humans. It, it's, I mean it's clearly very it, it's very clearly kind of trying to play on parallels with human history and, and humanity making appalling use of each other, never mind animals and, and uh, everything else. So yeah. uh, it's, it's, I mean, it seemed like a slavery parallel to me and, and a really, really upsetting one at that. Yeah. Uh, another question from Craig Garvey. If they continue the story up to the Planet of the Apes, should they include the Statue of Liberty in this version? If they don't, would you like them to explain the ending of the Planet of the Apes remake? Don't anyone can explain the ending. <laughs> no of that. one can explain. No one. That is not an ending that that makes any sense in any world. Even I've I've said this before, but even the tie-in novel to Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes does not have that ending. Because I, I picked up the novel in a shop yes. once. Because I'm like, maybe this will finally explain what the heck happened. It is not included in the book. 
Because it makes no sense, I assume. That's amazing. What does it end with? Did it end before that? Scratching his head. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't have anything, guys. I have nothing. I have nothing. Uh, but the Statue of Liberty is interesting. And here's, here's a little wrinkle. Sure. What if it's not the humans who have a nuclear exchange that blows up the Statue of Liberty? What if we evolve down the line and it's apes who do yeah. it? Uh, we have, you know, we obviously know from the Planet of the Apes sequels, I think it's Beneath the Planet of the Apes, is the second one where, you know, they have the Omega Bomb, which is alluded to in here yeah. in this movie, which wipes out. It's meant to wipe out pretty much the entire planet, I think. It's not, not that powerful, obviously. But um, I wonder if apes who have seem to have within them in this s- series as well, uh, you know, very chaotic, very, what's the word I'm looking for? Aggressive. Mm-hmm. They, they're very aggressive. Yeah. Uh, warmongering in many, many ways. Yeah. Maybe that will come into play. Maybe. We've got to hope the bonobos will kind of make peace because they're supposed to be less warmongery than other apes. Chimpanzees are like fiercely territorial, like you do yeah. not want to mess with chimpanzees. And of course, we have a society here that appears to be led chiefly by chimps. Yeah. Um, so that's a bit of a worry. Although really, I think the gorillas should be more important, but that's a whole other question. I'm not a biologist, but I believe they're pretty darn smart and should maybe have a bit more to do. Anyway, um, uh, it, it, it could be. It could be an exchange, I guess, between the two, but then it, it depends. Does it have to be a nuclear war that destroys the statue? No, because it because it would seem to me like if you you know remove all the humans, first of all, you could have uh, Three Mile Island, which is not that far from New York, could yeah, melt could down somehow. Yeah. Um, but but even leaving aside nuclear disaster, just eons of time and weather could just destroy a whole mm-hmm. bunch of stuff mm-hmm. including the Statue of Liberty a good point there is a feeling though uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm not as familiar Dan Jolin who was Mr. Ape Mr. Ape uh, <laughs> couldn't be here for the podcast and uh, he knows the Planet of, Planet of the Apes in particular is one of his yeah. favourite films of all time he knows it inside out but I'm pretty sure there's, there's allusions to Wastelands and radioaction, radio, radioactivity and radioaction, radioaction. Uh, radio, radioaction. Um, but yeah, could be yes, yeah, 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 good theory, Helen, good theory. Um, and the last question from Greg Garvey: If something like the Simeon flu happened and the Empire team survived, how well do you think they'd do? And who would become the tyrannical leader, <laughs> mad with power? James. James. It would be James. Oh God. He's the tyrannical leader, mad I don't with even power. Have to even think about that before. Things Oi. go to shit. Imagine what he's going to be like <laughs> afterwards. Uh, Darren asks at D two Ren asks where did the horses come from after the avalanche? Did they climb trees too? Maybe they were just off to one side. Interesting. Or they picked them up as they went. Interesting. Very courses. Mm-hmm. Luke underscore Walpole says uh, I was wondering whether you and the rest of the team feel that this apes series has been given short shrift and not received the adulation it has deserved it feels to me that the MCU the DCEU the Star Wars franchise and others have overshadowed it in spite of, in spite of three outstanding films while I would quibble with the three outstanding films thing uh, interested to hear what you all think I uh, this is not comparing quite like with like I don't think I mean, mm. these, these are these are a different proposition those all come with um, first of all, much bigger uh, noise, yeah. uh, like just advertising and tie-ins and everything else. They're very different. They're marketed to a younger audience as well mm-hmm. as, an, as an adult one, and they are, you know, 
much more widely sold, I think. Perhaps more um, of a brand recognition for More yeah. brand Even recognition. Even though everyone knows yeah. what Planet of the Apes Planet is. Planet of the Apes, yeah, but it's, a, it's more of a cult title and it has done well to do as, as phenomenally well as it has done in those circumstances. But it is not a billion-dollar grocer. It is a sort of $500 million grocer, generally speaking. Um, so it, it isn't quite comparing like with like. And I think, critically, they have been very warmly received. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think probably rightly so for the most part, despite my issues with parts of them. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the other ones have been, they've had the, it's, it's not comparing like with like. I'm just going to leave it there. Well, I, I would say that these movies are uh, very easy to admire mm. and very hard to love. That's the way I feel okay. too, yeah. Except for Emma May love Why do you think, lot. I mean, like, why do you think I think they're a little bit, they're a little bit emotionally cold. Okay. I don't think the first movie, I, I really didn't like the first movie at all. Okay. And I, I, I thought I was alone in that and I'm glad there's a, there is a group of people out there. We, we lurk in sewers and we talk about the, the first Apes movie. I thought the first Apes movie was, was pretty bad, actually. Okay. I thought the CG was, wasn't great in a, in a lot of cases. I thought the, the characters were one-dimensional. Um, I thought the, the moments of fan service when, you know, when Draco Malfoy goes, get your hands off me, you damn, yeah. get your yeah. paws off me, you damn dirty ape. I actually groaned out loud in the cinema and then I came out afterwards and I was like, that was a bit rubbish, wasn't it? And everyone was like, it's amazing! Yeah. And I was like, what film do we just see? Uh, the second film was was much better and this film for me is, is the best and this is the one I think, oh yeah, I can see why people are going, I don't see why people are going quite so nuts for it, the best film of the year I've seen some people say, but that's see, fine. I haven't said that. Like, you I'll haven't be said honest, that. That's not, it, it's, but, it might be my top ten, but, you but I would won't be, You'd be like in the five-star camp, Probably. I'm in, yeah, uh, yeah. this is a really solid, bang down, straight down the middle, 350-yard drive, four-star film, and I really admire it. Mm. And I think it's, but again, I don't love it. And I don't know that I'm making plans to go back and revisit it. Yeah, sure. I'm not sure I'd sit down on a Friday night and watch it again. So I binged them all the other, the other well, them all, the two of them, the other day <laughs> before beforehand. Um, <laughs> it was such a, <laughs> took me ages. Uh, and yeah, that was interesting. Um <laughs> You're right. I mean, I, I totally agree with you. Like, There are bits in the first one, of course, but I think the thing about it was that it was such a surprise to so many people because people were just like, oh, it's going to be a rubbish kind of reboot, isn't it? Mm. Blah, blah, blah. Nobody really knew the director. Well, no one on a grander scale really knew the director. Escapist and... is great, by the way. The Rupert Yes. Wilder. Really great. And I don't know. I wonder if it wasn't Andy Serkis, whether the love would be quite the same. I think people do appreciate the art behind it a lot as well. I think there's a real fascination but and that's true. Yeah. Um, I, d- I don't know. I, d- I just think they are. I do think they are really quite loved by a lot of people. And I think, mm. I think it's yeah I, because of I, Andy and because of other things. It's just. I think as films together, you know. First Apes aside, First Apes is one of those uh, examples of a franchise really diving off a cliff. Like the other, the, people will be angry and they'll be flinging poo at me. I know, but for me, the original Apes franchise. Once you get Heston out of the way, yeah. and especially in the second, because he, he pops up in the second one as well, yeah. the the last three, and I'll get these wrong, but I think it's Battle for Conquest of Escape From, and I can't remember the order again. It's a bit like this, and I apologize to Apes fans who will be furious, but for me, the quality dives off a cliff. Yeah. And these movies, on a technical level, and on a storytelling level, and on a been able to pronounce storytelling level, <laughs> uh, and on a craft level, and, and performance level, are so far beyond the original franchise, it's not even funny. Uh, but for me, it, it comes down to it. Easy to admire, difficult to love. Mm. But... Hey, that's just me. Um, so bleak as well. So yeah, bleak, I don't mind bleak. 
Bleak's fine, and I'm really intrigued by this. I, I love Bleak. <laughs> this podcast may end with us all dying. Well, who knows? Um, um, Chris. It may do. Touching. I've shut off the air, Helen. Oh, God. <laughs> there's, no, there's no way out. Um, no, but the, uh, I, I, I like this new kind of wave of bleak, uh, mat- emotionally mature blockbuster that we're getting. And I don't just equate that with deaths of major characters. And we've talked yeah, about sure. this in the podcast before, that that's a storytelling shortcut of too often I think you know people equate that oh someone's died therefore it is serious and worthy of our respect that's not the case no but I certainly think that you know Logan and Rogue One and Life and Alien Covenant and you know for all its flaws has a really knockout ending and a really interesting ending and this is the same and it almost feels in a weird way that we're entering this this may be too highfalutin, but there's almost that the, the events of the real world are beginning to seep into major, major league mm-hmm. filmmaking. Yeah, and there be and the endings of these movies and the tones of these movies and even something like Civil War are yeah. beginning yeah. to reflect what we see every day, which is just when you open your Twitter feed and it says, "Oh my God, oh Jesus, what's he done now?" It's yeah. it's yeah. pretty much that. Yeah, and we're getting that and reflected in our art now as well. I think. I think we are. I think uh, the endless screaming Twitter app has basically inspired a lot of filmmakers <laughs> um, to yeah. scream endlessly. Scream endlessly. Well, there are no. I think there are no right answers in life, and sometimes one of the great pleasures of going to the cinema is seeing a right answer, and that that can be enormously satisfying. That mm. that sort of escape from the endless compromises that we make every day, uh, seeing something work out. You know, seeing the good guy win or, mm-hmm. you know, romance or love triumph, yeah. true love, you know, a triumph can be enormously heartening and encouraging and inspiring. And sometimes it can be endlessly frustrating because you leave the cinema and then things are shit again. And and it's it can be even harder to bear, you know, just it's a slightly different example, but people coming out of Avatar and being depressed by the real world because it doesn't mm. look like Pandora. Um, and everybody laughed about that, but I, I got to say, I kind of get it. Yeah, you can get swept up in these worlds and then you come back to reality with a thump sometimes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I read lots of message boards at the time and people have really delved deep. I mean, they, they'd gone deep. Yeah, but but you can sometimes. Like mm. if if Sometimes if I read a particularly long and very trashy and escapist series of fancy books, let's say, <laughs> I don't know, Jim Butcher's Harry Dresden novels, which are crack Still cocaine. haven't read those. Still haven't read those. They are, honestly, they're so addictive. Anyway, I'm not saying they're the greatest books ever, but it takes me a couple of days to get back to normal after, like, sure. binging on them because you kind of get lost in them. And so there is, a, there is a total value to that, and I absolutely think it can save people's lives and change yeah. the world, and it's yeah. a really important thing. There is also something to be said for art that reflects the shit yeah. and art that reflects <laughs> the compromises and the failures and yeah. the and the fact that even a heroic effort sometimes may achieve your goal but you yourself may not survive the process yeah yeah, yeah. and that's what something like logan or something like this is sort of reflecting i think i think um it's interesting i don't think anyone would really necessarily say that we're going through Filmmaker wise, a renaissance of the 70s, although I think we've had some amazing, amazing films this decade. Absolutely. Amazing films. But it does seem to me that you had so many interesting films. So the 70s wasn't really a time for huge blockbusters. <laughs> I know that Jaws and Star Wars <laughs> came along in that time. But you know what I mean? The, the, the early was 70s. Huge. Yeah. Godfather yeah. was huge. But the early 70s yeah. was a time of dark political thrillers and movies that were f- 
you wouldn't get made these days. Yeah. Like the parallax view and films like that mm. and the conversation. And I just wondered, you know, the bleakness that seemed to run through, the bleed through from the American political scene into the American thrillers, particularly of the 1970s, seems to be happening on a blockbuster level. Yep. Now. And I think it's really interesting. And I yeah. think this movie is part of that. And so, and well done then. At Flix Watcher Pod, uh, again, a couple of questions. Uh, who will take over from Caesar now? Um, uh, sh- I guess Maurice Who's in the short term and, and Cornelius long term, yep. potentially. Unless Cornelius turns out to be an idiot, uh, a sort of. Possible. You know, Caesar Trump Jr. No, he's going to be really, really intelligent. You think? Yeah, yeah. he's going to be the most intelligent ape ever. He's going to be like acing his SATs, which he is will. a thing I read about in books. SATs. It's SATs. So. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> he'll be taking his ape levels and he'll be doing really well at stuff. Ape adversity. Ape, ape <laughs> anyway, uh, a time jump. You could do a time jump. Yeah. You know, well, we yeah. Could, we let's could, just leave it. We could just cut to 150 years' time. You want to leave it? This movie's going to make well, a lot of money. Like, you just, you were, that was you really leave aggressive. It. That was like fully standards. You want to leave it, Emma? <laughs> uh, yeah, but okay, let's say hypothetically, uh, if I was entertaining the idea, um, yeah, I like maybe the jump. Maybe the jump is, is, is the child. The child? The, the, what's a baby? Is the baby monkey sad? <laughs> it's not a monkey. <laughs> what's a baby chimpanzee? It's not a monkey. It's really important. It's not a monkey. It's an ape. They will write in. Yeah, people will write in. <laughs> the, the, the baby. Did ape. we learn nothing from Terry Pratchett? Sorry, I haven't read any Terry Pratchett. Uh, <gasps> is he? Uh, whoa. Is he really? Whoa, <laughs> is he really? Whoa. Has he got daddy issues? I mean, you know, there's a. I'm gonna or keep Cornelius. Oh, daddy issues. Yeah, there's gonna great. be a lot, isn't there? So. <laughs> yeah. Go on. You haven't done a meh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> go on. Go on. No, that was no, no, no. Go on. <sighs> meh. No, that's rubbish. I know. I'm sorry. So I can't be, do it on command. Your heart wasn't in it. Wayne as an ape. I don't know. I. Yeah. I'm just like I, I can't uh, I just want it I want that to be the neat trilogy think, that it was yeah. wouldn't you I admire think, them if they stopped wouldn't you just go well done I yeah no I think to. I think they should I think in the same way that we don't want Wolverine right now I, I, I always want Wolverine personally but we don't want another Wolverine film right now and I, I don't want another Apes film right now this was an ending let let yeah. the ending stand I feel like Andy Serkis is it like for a long time you know yeah I, you know, as you know, as any regular listeners to the podcast will know, Helen and I are enthralled to the MCU, but there's something about that that's never been attempted <laughs> well, before in, the, in, I mean, in yeah. cinema history. And that's fine, and it's going to go on, and it's going to outlive us all, and I'm happy with that. I've, yeah. I've made a peace with that some time ago. But it's, it's difficult, though. Sometimes some series should quit while they're ahead, yes. and they should get out while the going's good. Yes. And I think that's certainly the case here. Yeah. And, and, if you are going to, and if you are going to continue, then you need to keep reinventing yourself and keep reinventing your genre in the way that the MCU is attempting to do. Whether you agree that it succeeded or not, there's no denying that it is attempting each film to do a completely different genre within superhero genre, to the extent that that's a genre itself, yeah. which James Mangold would, for example, argue with. So um, if you're going to make another Apes movie, then maybe it should be like either an all-out action movie, like a complete like the aliens to this alien, or maybe it should be a really low-key, you know, ape discovering how to... Throw a bone in the air. Throw a bone in the air, you know? There we go. That's the crossover we need to see. (laughs) Or they could get Judy Greer back as another character and there could Helen... To, I was going to say to appease you, but that sounds yeah, really no, bitchy of me, yeah. sorry. No, appease me. But Helen, uh, in the most unpassionizing way possible, to appease you, maybe they could yeah. have like an all-female ape All-female ape you know? movie. That's maybe what we need. a heist. Yeah. 
Kate yeah. Blanchett. Yeah. Bring Helena Bonham Carter back. Oh, no, wait, that's Ocean's Eight, isn't it? Kate Blanchett um, would be an extremely tall person to be playing an ape. I feel like you'd have a lot of work for Twitter to do. She'd be a gorilla. She, I cannot see Kate Blanchett as a gorilla. No, Kate Blanchett is many things. A gorilla, she is not. <laughs> she can, hey, she's got a lot of range. I mean, she has, of course. <laughs> Any uh, more questions? Yes. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Uh, three more quick ones from Flix Watcher. Um, should we be accepting of bad CGI anymore? It's budget, isn't it? It's Hang budget, and time. budget um, and time. I don't think... Uh, th- there are some things that uh, are still challenging. For example, real human beings are still yeah. a, a big, big challenge. Um, almost anything else can be done with sufficient budget and time. Uh, so yes, studios should give their... Uh, their CG artists enough of both. Uh, no, they probably won't always. No. But we shouldn't generally blame the, the artists. We should generally blame the money men. Yeah, it's, in that case. it really states dictate now, don't they, for franchise films? So. Quite often, yeah. And if there is a late min- if there is a late change to the edit, exactly. then that can that can give everybody a, a difficult time. Yeah. Also, I don't think we have much of a choice. <laughs> so, <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> um, number question three from Flix Watcher is Winter the gorilla. Yes. A bit of a racist nickname. <laughs> yeah, what? Um, <laughs> honky would be worse, I guess. Mm. But now the uh, <laughs> I, I I think I I think that's an I don't mm, I don't want to put words into the ape's mouth, but sure. I think that Caesar probably is the one who came up with the nickname for for winter, and I would imagine that it was based purely on the fact he looks like snow. Yeah. I don't think the apes have been developed enough to necessarily have I just yeah, just racism yet. That's a whole new fun thing they're they, gonna they'll have. They'll have discover. like speciesism, right, presumably. Yeah. Yeah. Um which there it's seems really, to be yeah. no no real sign of yet. Um it's all banded together, there used to be a an albino gorilla in Barcelona Zoo, which I saw as a child. It was a very cool looking gorilla, so I liked winter. Yeah, I really thought that it looked really it he, sorry, mm. looked really cool. And what are your thoughts on what will happen to Nova? I mean, she didn't make enough of an impression on me to have any particular thoughts in that direction. Yes, I said it. <laughs> I mean, I haven't. There's another one. I haven't thought. I hadn't thought about it at the time because I was too seized up. But um, I guess she's just gonna. You know, if she's not strong enough, then they're just going to die, aren't they? Well, like, if if there's a line of Novas, if Nova's a, a, a name that gets passed down to human, mm-hmm. favoured potentially human mm-hmm. slaves or whatever, um, serfs at the very least, uh, she may well mate with one of her own kind one day. Yeah. They may take in other strays. Yeah. They yeah. may have their Is it clearly not the end of the human race? I mean, no, there's, there's no. clearly... Because that la- human line will continue, which yeah. is why there are humans in the uh, original Planet of the Apes. She's going to be um, okay. But yeah, she's going to be fine. She's going to be fine. She might be able to sing. Who knows? She can Probably whistle, not. whistle really well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, ben R. Christo asks, uh, more of a discussion point than a question. We like discussion points. I felt like Woody Harrelson's character, which uh, autocorrect fact fans had changed to worry Harrelson, uh, <laughs> was actually more of a secondary antagonist, while Caesar's conflicting emotions and fear of the past are the true bad guy in the Ooh. film. My word, Ben, you push your glasses up your nose after that question. Well done, Zach. That was, yeah. no, he, and yeah. he's not wrong. Absolutely. <laughs> Helen. I mean, I think... I'm pointing <laughs> my glasses at you. Put your glasses on <gasps> and off, Drew. He is actually pointing his glasses at me as he does that. Helen, deal with this question. And, mm. and squinting and raising one eyebrow. Um, 
I uh, I kind of agree. I think I, I, Woody Harrelson's character was not well developed. Um, having lost a kid to the, you know, I mean, honestly, could we be any more cliched at this point in the franchise? It just it, his motivation seems two kids. Ugh. His motivation was, you know, been there, seen that, don't care, uh, a little Meh. bit for me. Yeah. Um, and uh, and he was a pretty thorough bad guy. Like, he was enslaving intelligent beings. Mm-hmm. He was uh, hunkering down for war. He was uh, summarily executing sick people. He was yeah. a pretty thoroughly bad guy. And so it was not a particular high point of the film for me. And I think that, yeah, I mean, Caesar's internal conflicts were, were perhaps more interesting. Mm. Um, I think yeah, it shows how, you know, it shows perhaps a lack of interest in human characters in this one. It shows or perhaps mm. how infested Matt Reeves uh, was in the ape characters. It does, but... he spent so much time with them... But I agree. I thought that I thought that Woody Harrelson comes into the film and he's doing a, a, at times a Colonel Kurtz impression, and in other scenes he's not. But he was so evil. And then they have that one scene where he goes, "Oh, I also I had a boy, a son, a son, and the son was killed." And uh, but uh, isn't it interesting though that it's such a it's such a direct contrast um, to Gary Oldman's character last time? I thought he was a bit no, but but. But it, same, like it was exactly the same. Oh, I've lost my family. I like yeah. that touch with his thing. idea. Um, it, but it, were, it was it was played better with him because yeah, he was just it was the it was the looking at the, the, the picture that suddenly yeah that suddenly came back to life. Um, and and so it was exactly the same sort of setup. The sort of I've lost everything, so you will too. Mm-hmm. But but why why be so close to your last villain? I thought I think that's bizarre. I think he was a bit crackers, really. Like I. I did have a bit of issue with his character. I, that's why I need to rewatch it um, once I've recovered. I just, <laughs> when did you um, last see it? Two, three weeks ago? Yeah. I think you've recovered. No, I don't know. Okay. I was like, I'm moving house. That's my excuse. It's not, it's, I just can't take it again. Um, but I, some, I do love watching Woody act, but there are some bits where, you know when you're a little bit aware someone's acting? Mm-hmm. <laughs> were, you feeling, were you feeling Woody? No. Stop it. Stop, stop it. it. Don't, I knew when I said it as well. Wait. What? Stop it. Yeah, but there there are some points in it when you're like really aware that he's acting. Um, so I think I was almost watching him act rather than sort of like enjoying the watching. character. Yeah. But his opening, oh man, that to be fair, it's more about the music, which you probably shouldn't let me talk about because I'll be here forever. But um, <laughs> the uh, that bit when he just turns around and it's like. <laughs> it's him with like the paint across his face. That did be the sound effect. We're going. <laughs> Do you mind phoning? <laughs> Um, my boy, look what they did to my boy. That, that's a oh, that's a great. That's a very. Yeah. It feels quite iconic, but it doesn't really fit within. It's more of an apocalypse nowy type. Yeah, apocalypse now type thing. Um, yeah. yeah, he. Oh, I don't know how I feel about his story, the, but the film, you, I liked his. I liked the idea that he got struck down by his greatest fear rather than yeah by Caesar himself. Yeah. Conveniently fast. I like that Caesar ultimately decided not to pull the trigger and show mercy and show yeah. clemency and let him and let him take his own life. Yeah. I, I enjoyed that. For a second, I thought that maybe he would try and turn the gun on Caesar, such was his hatred yeah, yeah. for I the apes. Maybe he's taking it for a sec as well. Um, uh, at that point, I was thinking, oh, Caesar is going to die in this film. Uh, but then they, they threw in so many red herrings with so many different things that could kill him. 
that you're surprised when the arrow uh, hits him. Uh, but the movie take the movie really goes out of his way. I mean, he he kills Caesar's wife and the disposable son. Uh, Stop and, it! He was so oh, sorry. And um, are they, were they? Yeah, eight and, women in fridges. I'm just oh, anyway. <laughs> sorry. And then it spends the rest of the movie going, "We're going after the colonel. Colonel's a pretty big yeah. deal, guys. I won't lie to you. He's a he's a nasty man." And then when he when he when we see him. It was just like, oh, it's a little bit. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I was kind of. I think that did. Um, no, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of Woody Harrelson too. I like, I, and I think he's good in this movie. But, but I think, but I don't think we. I know we. Maybe, maybe it's because it's a twelve A. But we don't see a lot of. We know he's evil. We see the repercussions of what he does, but we don't see a lot of like his his evil, as in we. We we see we've seen he, after effects of it. Like I know we see him shoot. I know he has the apes in internment camp. I know, he's not but, feeding him or. I mean, he's meant to be this, as you just said, sort of like all encompassing, you know, evil figure, or whatever. And we see the bodies in the snow. Yeah, I don't know. I just maybe it was again because he's not very bright. You just can't it? have that in that sort of film. But yeah, that first meeting, he almost felt a little bit too chilled out. I can't quite put my finger on it. I don't know. I don't want him to be really evil. Yeah, he was but, pretty evil. I mean, there was the, the sort of essential crucifixion of Caesar. Yeah. That's not... Oh, that was... I forgot. Oh, he was, that was super he was, good. He was on the evil side. Can I Definitely take it back? Maybe yeah. I need to see it again. <laughs> um, speaking of the music, Ben Christo has another yes, uh, question. Christo. He says, some form of praise has to be given to the score. Correct. Which uh, I believe is Michael Cicchino's uh, 57th score of the summer. Um, <laughs> it is especially sassy. the piano piece that pops up every now and then. Yeah, I've listened to it every day since, which is also that's probably why I haven't recovered. Um, yeah, some praise. Can we? Can we maybe? Can we maybe like upgrade that to a lot of praise? <laughs> um, I I saw some people yesterday actually on Twitter talking about Chikino, uh saying that they thought it was in the way his score, and then I saw someone someone oh yeah someone had watched Dawn and they were for the first time they're like oh his score's really in the way, and someone else was like well wait until you see. Uh, the new film because and, it's and both of those people everywhere. are dead now, aren't um, they? They've been Emma. struck down by Simeon Flew, aka you. me. Um, but I can't imagine watching that film or Dawn without the music because for me, and I know this is hy- hyperbole, but I can't help it. I'm sorry, but I think it like assists like every moment of intensity, every moment of pain, every sort of tense step at the beginning through the jungle or the snow, and. Yeah, it intensifies every emotion along the way. And I think what he's done with the final two films is amazing. And also, at the beginning, um, I loved what he did over the 20th Century Fox logo with the percussion. Mm. That's so simple, but that that gave me shivers. And then I was gone. Uh, so what was your favourite pun on the soundtrack this time? Um, was it Cobra Dependence? Cobra Dependence, very good. Don't Look an Eye? Um <laughs> No, I like. I do like I Planet do like, of the Escapes. Did he, did he, Escapes. So he yes, did do pun titles for this. Yeah, yeah not he, entirely puns, but yeah, there the, the pun is still strong. Like with the him. last one's Paradise Found, which is just you know, yeah, true. I mean, that's, I was um, Spider-Man Homecoming titles, and he must have been like, oh my god, yes, thank you. <laughs> we realised <laughs> that the bad guy's name is the Vulture, and it's like, ah. Oh. But that's also a really good score. But uh, the when I had my horrendous crying uh, spell at the end of the film. Um, the music over that and the end titles is just gorgeous and I've been listening to that so much. And yes, as uh, Ben just said, the, the plinky-plonky piano 
which I think is probably most similar to sort of his work in Lost, maybe, is just... Oh, and let the right one in. It's, it's beautiful. Just love Chiquino, mate. Just love him, mate. <laughs> just love Chiquino, mate. I know. I do very much. Leave it! And we will leave it, because I think that's it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just pointing at you. Yeah. Leave it, Emma! What did I do? What do you do? Just curl up in the ball. My vision space and movement is fine. It's all good. It's all good. Uh, that is it. Is that it? I think that's it. I think so. Have you got yeah. any more questions? You're good. Uh, yeah, some questions. Sir Mustalica asked a question. Uh, Soup de Shure asked what the title of the next Apes movie would be. Fini. Um, what? Fini. It's done. It fini. Is done. Fini. C'est fini. C'est fini of the Planet of the Apes. What's it? What's the word? The singe, isn't it? That's the. Le Planet des Songes. Le Planet des Songes. And uh, Dialogue asked about uh, whether were the Nova and Cornelius the same Nova and Cornelius we've seen. Uh, mm-hmm. The apes know they're, they're, they're uh, maybe not even ancestors, but they're inspirations. And where do the apes settle in the end? Um, Brighton. <laughs> yeah. I thought it might be somewhere like Lake Tahoe, which seems like just about gettable too. It seemed to be a, a lake. Yeah. Taco. Oh, I apologise. Um, it seemed to be gettable too. It seemed to be inland. It seemed to be desert-like around it, but yeah. with an, an, a, a lake in the middle. So basically, this is Mars Attacks, except with... Imagine Eight. if it had ended in the same way. <laughs> yeah. instead, of, instead of the camera panning up beautifully to discuss this wonderfully composed shot. It would have been Indian Just love call. Panning to... Tom Jones <laughs> started to click his fingers as it's not unusual begins to play oh that's an underrated film we should go back and watch that it's a very I should good probably film. watch it shouldn't I oh my goodness I'm <sighs> so Emma's actually coming over Emma's coming to my house soon to watch The Princess Bride which she has not seen I'm not going to have to accompany that with Dr. Horrible a stack of Terry Pratchett books you're going to Mars read Attacks. Terry Pratchett to her yeah we'll, we'll do it we'll do take that. it in turns can we send Michael Giacchino mm-hmm. a box of Terry Pratchett books to orchestrate so Emma might actually listen to them? My face hurts from smiling so much. <laughs> there we go. We've got a solution. Thanks, Helen. Oh, it's lovely. Lovely. Uh, right, and that is it. That's all the questions we've had. I think we've fixed Anything you want to say? Any closing remarks? Put no? female characters in your movies. I'm glad to see Toby Kebbell. Come on, Helen. I want something realistic now, Okay. Get Toby Kebbell in more movies. Get Toby Kebbell <laughs> playing women in more movies. I don't know. No, no. But Toby Kebbell, sure. Yeah. yeah. More okay. Toby Kebbell. I don't think they needed Koba necessarily in this movie. A little bit bashing you over the head going, Caesar's afraid of turning into Koba, you know. Oh, look at that. But, um, but I thought this movie was fantastic. Emma thought it was fantastic. Yes. Helen thought it was fantastic. <laughs> Quite good. We... <laughs> Uh, and there we go and thank you again so much for your questions uh, via TM Uh, our next spoiler special is I don't know I don't know it might might be it's going to be good it might be The Dark Tower or it might be Kingsman The Golden Circle or we might take a break of a couple of months and then hopefully come back with a little movie I like to call Thor Ragnarok but uh, we shall see well Helen just went straight <laughs> yeah that was not a Sona. that was not a that was a I can't even do I can't even get that high yeah all the dogs people dogs right now are going crazy yeah. Helen only dogs can hear you uh, but we'll, 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 we'll take a look tell us what you would like us to spoil 
<laughs> and uh, we'll get round to it uh, at some point. Right, that's enough of that. It is goodbye from Emma. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Helen. Toodaloo. And it is goodbye from me. I am off to the doctors, actually. I'm coming down with something on my, my voice is going, guys. I, I just wonder if it might be the start of... Chris, you're not even making any sense anymore. Uh, uh, doctor says his number. Oh, I don't know. I'll look it up. Okay. Okay. Bye. I like every ape I see, from chimpanzee to chimpanzee, but you'll never make a monkey out of me. <laughs> Told you, it's a singing virus. That's what it does. It, first you lose your voice, and then first you lose your voice, and then you can sing. That was quite good.